everybody, and welcome to Totally Tin Tin. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. And today we're going to be talking about the Castafiori. Oh boy, right off the top. <laughs> I worried so much about uh, mispronouncing Castafiori that I messed up Emerald. Hardly, we hardly ever say the word, though, so it's understandable. Now, if this was a professional podcast, you would just go, Ian, we're going to do another take. But Dave, sure, if you want to. Dave, one take you Dedrick. No, no, no. Nope, Dave, I was going to nope, say, if you want to start again, I have no problem. Okay. No, I'm not falling for that again. Okay. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, we have introduced ourselves uh, already. Uh, if you're just listening to the show for the first time, it usually goes smoother than this. Uh, mm. But here is the premise. I work as a uh, comic book writer, and I have for about the last 15 years. I write for The Simpsons and Futurama Comics, and I'm a huge comic book fan, yet I have never read the Tintin series of books. And Gasp I, I, Horror. Absolutely. I have read issues of Gasp. I've read issues of Horror. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never read uh, Tintin. So um, even though my friends have said, why not? And uh, and so uh, with this podcast, I am doing so. And joining me on my journey is uh, my very good friend, David. Yes, who is a big fan of uh, Hergé and um, of uh, Tintin. Would you say you're my Sherpa climbing the mountain that is Tintin? Well, I'm glad that you're making reference to a book we read last <laughs> week, which I think is very timely. But yes, I okay. am. Would you say you're my butler falling down the <laughs> stairs on my journey to sit uh, quietly in a wheelchair and read Tintin? I feel I'm more your Mr. Bolt. So you're not here yet? I'm not here at all. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Spoilers sure on Mr. Bolt. You, uh, well, that's a, something to bring up on the show, actually, is the fact that this is a spoiler podcast. We will be discussing the book in great detail. It will not be... Well, we, we will not be not telling you the ending of the book. There you go. But David is a big fan of Hergé and Tintin, and especially Hergé's art. Would that yes. be uh, accurate to say? Oh, yeah. Uh, if it wasn't, then you've been lying for the last bunch of episodes. <laughs> true enough. Uh, so what will happen in this podcast? I will predict, like I'm the older gypsy woman in the beginning. I will now uh, I will take David's hand, and I will look at it, and I will say, ah, what's going to happen is, David, you will speak of uh, where things are mm -hmm. contextually. Yes. Uh, and then after that, we shall go page by page through this book. Sure. Uh, discussing it. And uh, so if, as you say, you don't want things spoiled, then please uh, read the book first. Or read the book along with us. Or, you know, however you want to do it, it's your life. Sure. I will not now cross your hands with silver. All right. Can I just say a couple of general things right off the get-go? Uh, are they about the story? Mm, okay, go ahead. You. You take it then. <laughs> go ahead. Because, yeah, we can, I mean, are they general things re relating to the story that we're going to be discussing? I think thematically, here's the thing. Uh, this story uh, is a bottle episode. Yep. Which is, uh, and I'd like to just mention quickly what a bottle episode is. A bottle episode uh, is most uh, commonly referred to in a, a sitcom or a dramatic series. Uh, an episode that takes place all in one location, usually in the show, uh, on a set that's already existing. And it comes from... Uh, when Star Trek used to have episodes that just took place on the ship, they would call those ship-in-a-bottle episodes that got shortened to bottle episodes. So now any story that just takes place in one location is called a bottle episode. Oh. I also thought this story was almost a classic, um, because I come from a background in theater as well, a classic uh, stage farce. This is the only Tintin story I've seen that you could actually put on stage yeah. and really not lose anything. Mm -hmm. So those are two things. I will say other things as things go along, but please... Context away. The, the, no, that's a good point, actually. It didn't occur to me that it's a bottle episode, but you're right, it is a bottle episode. Which I always thought came from I Dream of Jeannie. And that they had one episode that took a place entirely in her bottle. Is that true or is that a make -em up I might be making that up. Very good. <laughs> one of us tells the truth. One of us is a liar. Ask us one question each. <laughs> What's that question you're asking? When are you going to get on with the podcast? Right now. And I'm telling the truth. Go. So, uh... 
to so let's go back a little bit before um, or during the when he was uh, doing Tintin in Tibet, say, or even the Red Sea Sharks. Okay. Um, what happened was, and we'll talk about this in more detail when we get to our movies episode. Okay. But because I don't want to go too much into this, but I just want to mention the fact that around this time, Bell Vision, which was a company owned by Raymond LeBlanc, who also basically was the majority shareholder of Tintin magazine. Bellvision was put doing these uh, adventures of Tintin cartoons, so they were animating some of the books. They didn't do all the books, but they did a few of the of the sort of main books. Okay. Did they do this one? No. Okay. Not this was this would have been happening before the Casafiore Emerald, and um, so now those books were majorly uh, majorly messed with by as when they were turned into animation. How so? There was a, well, they just drop characters change motivations, like, say, with the Calculus Affair, it was entirely situated in America and stuff like that. In fact, oh, really? Okay. Par- well, part of, uh, what, part of what they did to... Um, sorry, just one second here. Go ahead, take a break. Part of what they did with um, when they were putting the animation together was have Han- Hanna-Barbera come over to uh, sort of, I guess, maybe help them or show them how to run a studio, particularly producing, mass-producing tele- now, you know, television Hanna- cartoons. what was Hanna-Barbera doing at this time? Were they doing their Johnny Quests or whatnot, or was this still This would have been a little earlier than that. I Tom think and Jerry's and whatnot? They would have been past their Tom and Jerry. F- so just when they started doing, like, Quick Draw McGraw okay. and all those, those sort of shorter cartoons. Understood. Uh, but were pr- which were produced specifically for television. Mm-hmm. And they'd sort of been the ones who kind of masterminded the limited animation uh, that we know from those cartoons, where it's basically the head sitting still, the mouth moving, eyes blinking. Every character has a tie so that you can animate the head separately from the body. Sure. And then you have a repeating backgrounds. And yes. Things. So in these, say, in the Tintin cartoons, you have a lot of them running past the same tree over and over again. Yes. Just to recycle and not have and save on labor. So while they were doing that, there was a uh, cartoonist he'd worked uh, since about the mid-50s, let's say, this guy, his name was Michel Renier. And he went by the name Greg, as all, of course, we know all Belgian cartoonists can't go by their own name. They have to That's choose right. a different name. Uh, and so at that time, he worked for Spiru. He'd been sort of like a behind-the-scenes ghostwriter for uh, Chick Bill, which, uh, by Tibet. And he'd worked with, on Modeste and Popon and uh, Spiru and Fantasio, the Frankan stories. So he'd done a little bit of that. And then he was hired to to help to write these animate, animated cartoons. In fact, he wrote... The uh, he wrote the kind of one animated uh, Tintin that is not based on a on a like on a previous existing oh, Hergé right? story. Yeah. What was that one called? That one is called I think it's called the Lake the Lake of Sharks or something like that. If we look on the back of one of ah, our older books, see, I we think could it was see this, it. Yeah, uh, Tintin and the Lake of Sharks. Yeah, correct. there you go. And so, I always wondered what that was when I saw it on the back of the books, and I, I was waiting, and I have now <laughs> found out. <laughs> Because I was kind of saving that for the movie one, but we'll, we talk a little bit about it. Right. And the, you know, he was not the world's greatest writer. I'll be, I'll be upfront about it. Okay. Uh, you know, like if you look at the Lake of Sharks, the story there makes no sense. Just stuff like Calculus is in a villa and he's developing some sort of invention and Rastopopoulos wants it. And so rather than just, he's just by himself in the hills in a villa. Go so get it. If, yeah, just go and get it. <laughs> just, is simple. that what he does? No, no. He's a very he, thin man. He you builds this elaborate James Bond villain <laughs> underground cavern thingy in order to launch his plan to steal the, you know, it's just ridiculous things like that. Let me ask you this. Now, you know my problem with Red Sea Sharks was there weren't any sharks ever won. Uh, are there sharks in I believe, Lake of Sharks? I believe they're the part of the defensive structure of There are actual the, sharks. Maybe. Well, I'll give them that We'll much. have to watch it and find out. All right, please continue. So uh, now... 
I'm going to make my own alternate history of, of this part of Hergé's life because okay. I read a couple of different things. They don't make sense to me because they imply that Hergé worked with, with Greg on, on the scenario that we're going to talk about, which I can't see because he would have not been very fond of Greg because Greg had done so much work destroying Hergé through the, through the animated cartoons mm. that it's hard to see him working in a kind of hand-in-hand way or even hiring him for the studio. What I think actually happened was that Raymond LeBlanc uh, kind of took Greg, I was going to say by the hand, but that sounds kind of weird, but kind of took him from the animated thing and said, you know what, I want you to do the next Tintin story. Because he wasn't very happy with Tintin in Tibet. Tintin in Tibet wasn't a huge success. It was a huge success as an artistic enterprise. Uh-huh. But in terms of commercially, it wasn't super big. And I think Raymond LeBlanc felt that Hergé was kind of going up his own... Yeah, uh, understood. You know, kind of following his, his own interests. Yeah, and he wasn't like, he wasn't producing, you know, he's kind of personalizing... Tintin too much and you know and so this character instead of being this adventurous character was becoming this very inward looking character and I don't think you know and that's not what they wanted you know in terms commercially there was a lot of action in Tintin and Tibet there is and there isn't in the sense that there's a lot of action but there's no villains you know there's no obvious villain there's no big chase sequence there's no car chases there's no huge slapstick sequences there's there's plane crashes but you don't uh, see the plane crash that's true you're followed by this captain falling off a mountain and that's dramatic life and will he die that's dramatic but there's a lot of but the drama there is 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 psychological more than more than it is like an action scene that you see you know it's you know know what i mean right it's more of a psychological sequence i guess i i kind of liked it too again we're talking about a past step well why not Mm, it's our podcast we'll do what we want (laughs) yes uh it, it one thing that I kind of missed from the early Tintins was it was almost a travel log where Tintin goes to another part of the mm-hmm. world and you learn about it. Yeah. And I like I like that. And then you kind of lose that as things go along. Mm-hmm. And so it was nice going to Tibet and seeing this is what this world is like. Yeah. This is what these folks believe. Okay, this is this monastery. It, it was yeah. interesting. Sure. And, you know, I like the threat of the abominable snowman, even though it, it was very rushed at the end how they dealt with it. But I also like that maybe something, you know, isn't bad just because you think it's a yeah. monster. It doesn't necessarily have to be a monster. Mm-hmm. That's a nice moral. I'm sure. all for it. Sure. So boo to people that didn't like that. <laughs> no, I mean, I think most people, like I say, it was a critical success. And but was, in terms of a commercial success, not so and much. And a very weird thing, you know, which we didn't discuss on that show was it was made into five video games. That's a weird thing. That's more than any other, you know, so somehow there was something uh, action-y enough about it that mm-hmm. that uh, all these video game folks went, yeah, that's the one we're going to make into a game you know more what? than anything else. Easy backgrounds. Uh, maybe. So, uh... So what happened was, so like I say, um, I think Raymond LeBlanc felt that Hergé had made Tintin a bit too personal, and so they wanted a change in direction. Mm-hmm. And now Hergé had had an idea in mind. And in, in 1957, he read this article uh, that was in a magazine called Marie France, written by a journalist named Philippe Labreau. And the article, which was called La Pure qui vient de future. So I, the fear coming from the future? Fear of the Future? Fear of the Future, I guess. Which is also, I think, the name of uh, an X-Files uh, movie. Is it? Yeah, X-Files Fear of the Future, I believe. Yep. I think it's, fear is coming from the future. Very good. But anyway, it concerned two different American families who had accidentally been exposed to super high, like extremely dangerous radiation levels from little radioactive pills that had broken and exposed them to, like, you know, almost lethal doses of radiation. Seems of fear of the time, okay. Uh, and so he wrote some notes for the story, and his notes were like a bottle or some other object containing a deadly substance, and he wrote atomic pills, mm-hmm. quote, uh, question mark, has been carried off by mistake by someone. Tintin pursues the fellow and finds him just as the substance in question is about to unleash its damaging effects. So that was his sort of notes on the story. So he wrote that in 57. Okay. 
but he did that a lot. He would write a lot of notes in the margins of things as he was working on other, other stuff, just because an idea would pop into his head and he would write it out, you know. Now, he, you know, and when we talked about Tintin in Tibet, we talked about a lot of different ideas that he'd had, you know, the Tintin in Canada, you know, in the Antarctic, like sort of polar expedition that gets food poisoning was mm-hmm. a possible idea. Nestor being wrongly accused of a crime committed by the sure. Bird Brothers. So he had all various kind of ideas that he was sort of working on before he finally came upon Tintin in Tibet as like his... The, you know the, the pill the pill thing seems weird because you know it seems like a, a serious version of a comedic idea that they've already done which was the those pills that uh, the Thompsons took that, okay you know and, yeah and I forget what the main substance in those was but it seemed like it was something radioactive but it was like highly scientific very dangerous makes things explode sure but they took it and now everything's funny yeah they put in, they put in gasoline and it would cause the gasoline to, to explode yeah, right it yeah. was very dangerous so you know we've kind of done uh, something's hit well that may be what so well, so then, because uh, that may be why he made the choice he did, because what happened was he kind of, he sort of do, you know, under duress from LeBlanc, who wanted stuff. And I think this was almost like a time, you know, kind of like a, a way to sort of put off, you know, things, other things happening. So, time. yeah, he sort of by, you know, so. Because he's so, got a fear of the future. <laughs> so he, so he gave uh, this story to Greg to develop. So he kind of gave him this stuff. And so Greg, uh, his, what he was told to do was to create a Tintin story in the kind of popular adventure spy story with a Cold War background, kind of like the Calculus Affair, which had been a big success. Mm-hmm. And so that was his brief as he went into this. And he produced two different plot synopses. One was called Les Pillus, or The Pills, and the other was Tantan et les Thermo Zero, so Tintin and the Thermo Zero, whatever Thermo Zero is. And so so Hergé, you guys, we know there's a drinking game in this show where if I put, uh, say Hergé rather than Tintin, what if I write Tintin rather than Hergé into my notes? Is that then two drinks? Must, no. That's that, two drinks. No, that means you have to eat a whole hamburger. <laughs> it could be a veggie burger if you're so inclined. If you're gluten sensitive, just eat the burger itself. All right, right. right. It's now an eating But you're game. right, the Tintin thing. And you don't have to drink whiskey. If you if you are a whiskey drinker, drink whiskey. If you're not, yeah, mineral water. Lamond. Please drink mineral water. <laughs> and tribute to Slovenia. Yes. Um, so... So he chose the second story, and maybe that's why, when he kind of thought, well, we've already sort of done a pills thing, so we don't really need that. So it would be better if it's just a mysterious object. So uh, he produced about eight pages of pencils for it. So he did, a, you know, about eight pages of it. Fair enough. And then he just stopped. And so the story itself, the plot involved uh, Tintin, Haddock, and Calculus were witnesses to a car accident. And Tintin runs over and drags this, you know, accident victim out of the car. And... You know, he's laying there and he covers him with his coat because it's sort of a rainy night. So now, despite the accident occurring near Marlin Spike, they're on their way home there. Uh, suddenly, there are just all these people around them and they're all trying to help. But most of their help seems to be trying to take this guy into their own cars, even before the ambulance arrives. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is very strange. So when the ambulance arrives, it takes this guy away. But what happens during the time is no one notices, but this fellow slips an object into Tintin's coat that's covering him. And now, uh, so after that, after the ambulance takes him away, over the next several days, Tintin notices that other witnesses that were there at this accident have been burgled. And he concludes that, you know, something, this guy had something that people wanted, and that now someone's looking for it. Uh, So he starts to investigate. So meanwhile, Calculus sees Tintin's coat, which is a mess after laying in this road and being covered in rain and everything else, sends it to the cleaners. Then the captain's kidnapped. So hmm. Tintin gets a note from some mysterious people saying, you know, the captain will kill the captain unless you give us the object. Right. Now, Tintin doesn't really know what the object is. He knows they want something. But what, so he uh, goes to the police 
I assume the Thompsons, and he gets the radio transmitter, which he disguises as an object. And now they want to meet in Berlin. So this brings in kind of a Cold War element to it as well, because now Berlin, we have the East-West thing. So he goes to Berlin. They meet up. He gives them the object, the radio transmitter. They're captured by the police. Meanwhile, Calculus finds the actual object, investigates it, and discovers that it's an explosive device that can explode even in the absence of oxygen, but that it's missing a key component, so it's, not actually, it's actually safe. And that's the end of the story, as far as the synopsis goes. Right. So it's a typical thing that uh, Hergé had when he was working on a project that wasn't his own. And when he was asked why he abandoned it, he said, I felt like a prisoner in a straitjacket, unable to get out. Personally, I need to be constantly surprised by my own inventions. Besides, my stories are always created in the same way. I know my starting point, and I know more or less where I want to end up. But the route I take to get there depends on my whim of the moment. And so Greg had fallen into the same trap that Van Melkebeek and Heuvelmans had fell into when they did their their kind of pilot version of the uh, the moon stories. In that instead of creating something new, they create an Hergé story, yeah. in quotation marks. This all feels like it's been done before. There's, there's a bunch of flaws to me in there. Like the things that make things exploding, well, mm. we've had that with the gasoline pills. Kay. We've had that with the sonic device that makes the buildings fall down. Yeah. We've been there. Yeah. And I think a big flaw in this is uh, kidnapping the captain. Yeah. You've now kid taken away the character that's interesting to interact with. Yeah. What are you going to do? Are you going to hang out with calculus? Like, what are you, what are you yeah. going to do? Yeah. You've now reduced Tintin back to the very beginning when he was just a solo act. Yeah. And and there's no real reason for that. That's not great. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So it becomes a pastiche rather than rather than something original and interesting. Yeah. You know? So and he, I think even Andre felt that and weakens the formula you've already developed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't think he actually intended to do it. I think he was just biding his time. Because he was just looking for something else that was interesting right. to him. And this looks like he's do. working, right? So, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's not a story they'll ever go through because it is flawed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it looks like he's working. So, yeah, it does seem like... Yeah, yeah. So the idea itself of the story, he actually didn't give it up as an idea. I mean, he might not have used Greg's plot himself. But it was actually kind of uh, mooted as the next, the third animated film at one point. And then it was given to Bob DeMore to develop into a Josette and Jocko story. So he rewrote it mm. for for those characters and drew a few pages of it, but then was taken off of that project to work on the update, the updating of the Black Island. And that basically was put into a drawer and never, never seen again. So that was the end of that. Uh, so like I say, I think he kind of planned it as a distraction for, for for everyone else, not for himself, but for everyone around yeah, him. Yeah, sounds about right, yeah. To, so well, he could work on this new story idea that he had. And what he wanted to do was something that was totally different. I mean, this is obviously a standalone Tintin book. Yeah, there's no other book quite like it that we've read mm-hmm. so far any, anyway. Yep. And he wanted a story that was the antithesis of readers' expectations of what a Tintin story was. Yeah, he did do that then, yes. <laughs> his, his idea was, I'm going to make a story in which nothing happens, mm-hmm. and yet there's still suspense. So you have suspense, but nothing really happens in the story. And, uh, you know, following Tintin and Depet, which kind of followed a similar idea in the sense that there's no big chase sequences, there's no fights, there's no villains. He wanted even he wanted to even limit it even more and take away even the travel element of Tintin out of the picture and have them only in one location for the whole story. Right. And essentially, yeah, make it into a drawing room mystery. Well, with some also, traveling around on the ground. He also gives the captain exactly what he's been asking for for the last six books. It, it, all of them begin with, I don't want to leave. I yeah. just want to stay at home. So yeah. it's like, okay, we're going to stay at home. Ah, uh, staying at home. Who's coming over? I want to get out of here. You can't get out of here. <laughs> so he's trapped. Yeah. yeah. it's a, Yeah. 
It's a fun thing to do as a writer. Give the main character what they or one of the main characters exactly what they want and see how messed up that makes them. Yeah, and yeah, exactly right. And it challenges you too as a writer, obviously, and a creator to create the situation where if you make yourself a real trap, you know, that the sense that not only do I not only do I plan to have nothing happen in the story, but it still has to have a cliffhanger or a sense sure. of suspense every page. Yeah. When every day ends, when every week ends. The reader has to still want to come back and read the story in which I planned it is to be full of red herrings, false trails. Right. And, you know, just, just leading up the garden there's path. There's no apes. There's no abominable snowmen. <laughs> there's no Loch Ness monsters. There's no zombies. Yeah. Yep. But And no one's really in any danger except for the step. That one step might kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. But aside from that, yeah, no danger. But how do you still make it exciting? Exactly. Uh, so it was, uh, it was published in Tintin Magazine. Uh, from July 4th, 1961 to September 4th, 1962. And what was interesting is this is the first book that was published simultaneously, well, not really simultaneously, but in the same year in French and in English. Mm. So the two versions came out, the two translations came out in, in the book version the same year. And in fact, Ergie was a huge fan of the English version of it. He felt that, uh, he said, you would really think that this was originally written in English. He enjoyed the way that it took that sort of English farce element and really it played it up in, it, in, in, in the English version. Now, he did have a few influences. He still like kind of did a little bit of research on this story. He didn't entirely make it up out of his head. For instance, Castafiore, her character is a little different in this, kind of plays up her diva element a lot yeah. more. And she was, she was based on Maria Callas, who was a very famous opera singer of that time, was very much in the gossip columns in all the magazines in that time. And so he just borrowed a lot from her, like the expression when she... She thinks her jewels have been stolen, and she puts her hands to her cheeks and says, you know, heavens, my, my jewels. It was actually based on a famous photograph of Maria Callas by Cecil Beaton that he took in 1957. So he was, you know, just, not just taking, you know, and her constant change of wardrobe. Like every time, he, every every new scene, she's in a new wardrobe with her, you know. So it's just, a, you know, he's just having fun of this idea of her as a sort of more outlandish, more broad character. Then uh, what's also interesting is Haddock almost becomes the central character of the story, and that a lot everything kind of happens to him and revolves around him. Even Tintin's actions in sort of detecting what what this mystery is is really kind of besides the point in the the main story, which is basically Haddock's journey through this story. You know, uh, because he he basically has become Erge, or an Erge has become Haddock. You know, like Erge's life at this time was all about not being out there. He wanted to be, you know, home, you know, and dressed in his expensive clothes, you know, looking at his fine paintings, drinking his fine wine. He didn't want to be out there anymore, you know, and so Haddock kind of closes out the tinting character and, you know, for 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 Erge and Erge just becomes Haddock, you know. Mm -hmm. And this story is a real kind of representation of that element of of himself. Uh so some of the so and in that vein, a lot of the there's several elements in the story that come out of his own life. So, for instance, the Mr. Bolt, the Gypsies, the marching band, all those things are actual experiences from his daily life that he took. You know, irritations a that happened to him. Marching band came to his house. Irritations that happened to him. Yeah, a marching band came to his house. Yeah, did exactly that. Played da da da. They he of course. The tradition of the of the region, I guess, send them send them out with some wine and champagne or whatever right. to celebrate. They got royally drunk, uh, you know, gave a hip hip ray to Mister Spiru, and then <laughs> left. So even the insult, you know, even after that, he still gets mistaken for the wrong, wrong cartoon character, you know. So 
It's just a real insult after injury, yeah. So it's just all these things were real annoyances in his life because he just wanted to be this private person, you know. Right. So he's got car rallies coming and marching bands and this annoying character who won't come and fix his, this problem in his house, you know. Right. Just all the things of daily life that drive, drove him crazy, he poured into this story, you know. Uh, with the with the gypsies, uh, with the Romanies, he he actually had a uh, once again a, a cleric, a father who, who was more, had worked with them, and so he got information from him about their lives and stuff like that. So he could represent them in a way that wasn't stereotypical of the time. So we don't. There's a few stereotypes: them basket weaving and playing music and stuff like that, which kind of came out of a like an Oxford English dictionary. He just read what are gypsies and it just described them as that. So he's, oh, I'll include those in the story, you know. But stuff like, you know, it didn't have all the sort of pickpockety things and stuff like that, but it plays on our expectations of that aspect of them, though. Right. But the ones that do believe that are the jerks in the story. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's an, that's that's the way you, you, you do that kind of thing is like, who thinks this? Yeah. Those people. Do you want to be like those people? Nope. Yeah. It's a good way to, to uh, promote tolerance in a story. The other thing he had to do with this story for the first time was create an idea of a floor plan for Marlin Spike, mm. which he'd never done before. It always had just been on, on the, the women of the moment. So so previously, the layout was always dictated by the story or by the action. So what, what you needed, what the narrative demanded was what the, room deme- was what, what the room was or what the hallway was or what the entrance was. So that's why we don't know where Tintin sleeps when he stays there or where... Haddock's bedroom is or where calculus stays because it was never thought of before so calculus can come from any direction you know it doesn't matter it just he's coming down the stairs usually that's all you see i'm gonna ask you a question you don't know the answer to but maybe someone does i don't know the answer uh in the world like you know they have made a, a variety of tintin toys and whatnot has anyone ever made a marlin spike made a full-scale model of it yeah. with, an, with an interior it feels like that's the kind of thing that someone in europe would have made at some point i can't believe in, in well, those shops that have everything tintin wall to wall everything and everything yeah. every car every vehicle every character that no one has ever made one of those and i wonder where what well, they based I'm gonna it say, on i'm gonna say yes they have because they'll partially base it on the architecture that we've seen so far so we know there's a basement we know that there's right. a room that you know from there's a lot of it there's a lot of it in uh, seven. The uh, sorry, the secret of the unicorn. There's a lot of the interiors of right. Marlon Spike in that, but I think it's been planned out for the film because the film has the attic. You know, it has. Uh, mm. You know, it has a lot of different rooms. Well, that it I uses. Sent, yeah, I sent you something recently, just kind of as a joke, uh, which was a little clip from the video game. Sorry, I keep bringing up the video games, but they have a 3D model of of Marlon Spike in there that sure. I believe you can walk in and okay. walk around. Yeah, and I'm just wondering if it, that was actually based on something. If someone well, who is a Tintin expert laid it out and went yeah. like, "This is more. It's it's the official. This is what Marlon Spike is. Yeah, and here's where all the rooms are." Because what RJ had to do in the end was kind of settle on a kind of a a kind of a and a it was more of a, a compromise between a kind of surreal, never existed castle sure. and the actual Chateau de Cheverny. So, you know, because he'd already kind of, of put rooms in various ways and it kind of settled on that, he kind of had to use those as, as, a, as, a, as the base and sort of build on that, build a floor plan on that. So even knowing that, it's not totally sensible how, he's, how he did it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that even if someone... You know, if they did it for the film or they did it for the video game, they had to kind of fudge some details in order to make it work properly. Right. You know? Because it just how, you know, well, how does this entrance, like, where's the entrance to the basement? You know, That is your typical problem with almost any cartoon slash sitcom. Mm-hmm. Slash, you know, if you look at a sitcom, almost the outside of almost any house does not uh, jive with the inside of the house. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly, yeah. And so he would have had that problem with, you know, there's a scene where Tintin goes up to the window of, of Igor's 
where the piano is. So we know that's the maritime. I think that's what uh, Haddock calls it in the maritime room or something like that. Yeah, right? I think so, yeah. And so, that, okay, that's maritime room. So Tintin goes to the windows of it, but where exactly is that situated? We don't see it in relation to the front steps of the house. True. You know, so it's just kind of there, you know, so there's things where he's still kind of fudging it. Okay, so a little favorite part, I always like to talk about the alternate titles. Sure. For, uh, so here's a few, a few different alternate titles. I think we can tell why this one wasn't used, the first one, which was the Castafiore Affair. Uh-huh, we I already gotcha. we already had the calculus affair, so right, yeah, could work. It's too bad because actually it works better with this. Yeah, it works on two levels. Uh, Castafiore Sapphire. All right. Uh, the other one was Heaven's My Jewels or Ciel My Mes Bijoux. Pass. Okay. The Captain and the Nightingale. Don't mind that at That's all. That's pretty good, I think. Yeah. Um, I would. I, you know what? If I was uh, making this into a play, which I think it could be a play, <laughs> that is what I would call it. You would call it the other one. Okay, I read this a few times, and they always say the jewels. Uh, the jewels, or the Castafiore jewels, or the jewels of Castafiore, whatever. As, and then, then they'll say, but the Castafiore emerald was what was settled on. And I think to myself, well, no, it wasn't. The Castafiore emerald is the English title. The French title is Les Bijoux de la Castafiore, so it's actually the Castafiore jewels. Very good. It's still the jewels. So why were they, I don't know, people are mixed up that they actually think Tintin's actually is English. They're so confused of that. But yeah, no, that's not an alternate title. That's the alternate title that's French. The English title is the true alternate title, the Castafiore Emerald, which isn't a bad title either. It's not bad at all. So there we go. So let's start the story with one of the, I think this is probably the greatest cover. I would call it, here's what I would call this episode, this this one. Yeah. The Bird's House. The Bird's House? Because it was originally The Bird's House. Okay. And also birds feature so prominently in it. Mm Mm-hmm. There. There you send that into the past. Enjoy, everybody. (laughs) The the Bird House. Okay. Uh, what do you think of the cover? What do I think of the cover? I, I like it. I like him looking at us. Uh, I like him bringing us into it. I like the captain uh, holding his ears. And I like that Snowy is now friends with the cat enough that the two yeah. of them have kind of teamed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're both listening to it with their superior animal hearing, those poor <laughs> things. I, and I really like the expression on the uh, piano player's face. This is his lot in life. Yeah. What's he going to do? Yeah. I just love Tintin looking at us and, and putting his finger to his lips. He has really nice fingers. It really, yes. But it really, it really brings you, really draws you into the story. And it's, it's, uh, very well done, and the coloring's this perfect, really good. Agreed. My probably my favorite color, cover right here. Oh, is that right? Yep. Interesting. I haven't really thought of what my favorite cover is, but uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's very different than any other cover. Again, because everything else is uh, pretty much action packed. Every other one seems like, and we're in, and this one seems. All right, just settle down. This is no one. Right, can, everyone, relax. No one can see. Well, people can see it if they. I took a picture of my watch one time, but uh, we talk about Tintin that we often see the back of his head yes. and covered and stuff like that. Now, if you look at my watch, it's the back of Tintin's back of head. Tintin's head. It's so iconic that even the back of his head is recognizable as Tintin. Understood. Alrighty. So, are we going through this now? Let's go through it now. So, I just want to say before we start, um, in the magazine version, there's a you know there's actually four tiers to the page. It doesn't say the Castafiore Emerald as it does here. Uh, it has it in smaller writing, and then it has a a long, a panel along the top that's basically just a a big landscape of of the local countryside around Marlinspike. Okay. And there's a a little lettered bo- a little box with lettering in it, and it says in it, um, "We are we are at Marlinspike for Tintin and Snowy, and for Captain Haddock. The walks in the green countryside have replaced the pursuit of the abominable snowman." So that's how okay. the story starts. So we already get a sense that this is that they've kind of settle down into this new sort of life understood yeah. uh yeah the interesting thing about this story you know as you were saying you know there's really there's no danger 
There is no danger in this. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing supernatural with the exception of maybe the one thing the older gypsy woman does off the top. So there's no supernatural. Mm-hmm. There's no real action. It's 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 reminded me a lot of a, a film called A Shot in the Dark. <laughs> okay, yeah. You know, which is, yeah. you know, uh, the second sort of Pink Panther movie, though. Sure. It, it was more ba- straight than Well, the, it was yeah. more straight. What it was was it was based on an actual play, and then they shoehorned in uh, Peter Sellers as Clouseau into it. But again, it's one of those one location type situations, and there's so much uh, just broad. Shot in the dark is I one location. So. I believe so, isn't it? Are you, the original Pink Panther. Or maybe you're thinking of that. No, no, no. The, uh, this is the one where uh, you know things happen at, uh, at, at you know at, at a very fancy mansion, and he shows up. No, no. You're oh. thinking of the first Pink, the very first Pink Panther film. The Shot in nope. the Dark has a bit of nudist colony. Has all kinds of goofy stuff happening. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I got to look that up, but I'm not thinking of the first Pink Panther movie because I know that one quite well. Okay. With Robert Wagner and... Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's fr- and David Niven and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, so we started off with me being corrected, which isn't the worst <laughs> thing in the world. Let's yes. Dave get going. Uh, yeah. So, please. Okay. Well, yes. The story starts with them, as I say, they're walking along in the countryside and... What can we say? But beautiful drawings of the countryside. Snowy Remember? being a dog, doing some digging. Yeah, he's doing some digging. Yeah, being a real terrier. He's going and he's actually digging hole in burrows. So he's looking for for animals in burrows. A so. Nice shot of uh, up the captain's nose <laughs> as he's sniffing the air. He's he's doing what he's wanted to do for the longest time. Yeah, yeah. Which is just hang out here, relax. Not going to the moon. He's not going to Tibet. He's yeah. not. But interestingly, he's wearing his adventuring clothes. He's not wearing his country gentleman clothes. Right. I think that's because it's a little cold outside. If you look at how Tintin's dressed, yeah, this is a appropriate outfit to wear when okay. it's you know yeah. a little uh, nippy outside. Okay. Uh, so you think we're in we're in? Well, he says the merry month of May. So I guess it's early May. So we're kind of in in early spring, and right. so it's still but a bit it chilly. It appears yeah. to be crisp yeah. from the jacket that Tintin's wearing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, taking a nice big breath, and it stinks. <laughs> yes. Because there's a rubbish uh, dump nearby, mm-hmm. and uh, and so uh, some criticism of this, and then he notices that uh, some people are there, and it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a gypsy uh, caravan, and we get a little insult from the captain about that, which is like, oh, that's, no, captain, don't be that insulting uh, about <laughs> saying they have no sense of hygiene. The gutter snipes, I disagree with that at all. But then Tintin hears a, a child crying, yes, and we're off. So the story starts. Yeah. Well, you think, oh, now, we, yeah, that's what you're thinking. Now we're off. Yeah. The story begins. We're going to meet that kid. She's going to be in trouble. We're going to have to travel somewhere. There's mm-hmm. going to be exciting adventures. There's going to be magic. Yeah. Uh, fortunes will be told. Oh, the things that will happen. No. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, she's she's crying. And uh, Tintin's asking uh, what's wrong. And uh, and the, the captain is being a little bit of an older generation guy, giving her a little shake. Uh, going on, what's wrong? That yeah. aggressive thing, and yeah. she's not having that. So, uh, bites him, <laughs> bites him to the point where like he's bleeding in the hand in a very realistic way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he is. And what's uh, yeah, it is unfortunate. But I mean, his blustery manner is probably not very child friendly. Let's face it. Right. It's weird seeing though that kind of realistic biting of a hand and then <laughs> blood. Right. It really kind of grounds you in the story in a way that's like this isn't necessarily big comedy. Uh, fall down. Now I got a big bandage on my face. It's like, no, he just got his hand bit. Yeah. This is, this is very realistic. As a person, you know what that feels like. You're a bit more grounded in the story. Now we're following the girl. Oh, so you've been, you've been bitten by a child. So then we hear snowy As a barking. Two, I'm assuming you probably have to. <laughs> so we, we hear some barking in the, uh, from Snowy and uh, Tintin runs off to see what's happened and finds this little girl has fallen down and bonked her head on a tree, br- or a tree root. So he helps her up. 
She's still scared of them, but they're able to uh, calm her down and take her back to this encampment. Even though the captain's making crazy noises and yeah. waving his hand with... Yep. Yeah. Not great with kids, the no. captain. No, no. That has been proven. He's, on a, he's an old bachelor. Sure. So, yes, they go back to the uh, the camp uh, where uh, they are not uh, trusted uh, by by the folks that are there. No. Uh, but uh, they explain, you know, the, the, where the girl wandered off to, all that. And then an old woman asks him to cross her palm with silver and and she will tell the fortune. And uh, the captain's not having any of this. No. No. He's not interested. No. He's Who been, wants another fortune? He's been on the sea enough. Yeah. And he's, yeah. Does he want to know his fortune? Life's rough. Maybe he doesn't want to know that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the captain's saying to, I guess, uh, it looks like maybe her father or someone who is a male authority figure yeah. with the gypsies. Uh, you uh, you should let a doctor look at her. A doctor. You, I suppose you think I have the money to pay for a doctor? Meanwhile, she's trying to tell the fortune again. Grabs his hand and, oh, see something. So Now he's interested. Here we go. Uh, you must be careful. Otherwise, I see an accident. But not serious. I see you in a carriage. Ah, beautiful stranger approaches. Uh, she's coming to visit you. Ah, she has ter- wonderful jewels. Oh, a terrible disaster. The jewels are gone, vanished, stolen. If you cross my palm with silver, I will tell you more things. Nah, he's not having this. <laughs> nope. Nope. Walking away. Uh, saying, no, just a little silver. Otherwise, you will suffer great misfortune. The jewels will disappear. Ah, it's enough mumbo-jumbo for one day. Yeah. And that's the last we'll have of any magic or supernatural or, you know, element like that in this story. So uh, so the captain uh, gives them some advice of, like, you take care of her, you know, and uh, and then he makes the offer to them uh, that they can stay near his place and not near this rubbish dump, which is, which is nice. Yeah, and it's the first of the... Many close-ups of the captain that kind of fall, f- fill the story, and there's not, there's hardly any close-ups of Tintin or any other character. Hmm. The captain is the one you'll most see um, most often that you'll have a close-up of. It's interesting. Yeah, I like the uh, clothing on the uh, the the folks there. Hmm? I like his uh, the the guy who's kind of leading things. I like his scarf around the Mike. neck. I like yeah, Mike. Very nice. And so uh, the two of them walk back to Marlin Spike at oh. the angle that you must walk. <laughs> And you can only go face straight for towards straight it. towards it. And as they walk in, there's a loud thump. Yes. I'll throw it over to you now. All right. And we find Professor Coculus at the bottom of the steps and that there is a broken step in Marlin Spike that they've been waiting for the builder to come and repair for a great deal of time. The captain, of course, is upset, talks to Nestor. Nestor says, well, I've phoned him many times and he has not come. And he goes, I'll t- deal with this. I'll show what to do. Bluster on the phone. That's how you get things done. He immediately makes a call and gets Mr. Cuts the Butcher. Who is showing off his diploma in butchery uh, diploma. behind him. And, uh, his, his diploma has a cow on it. Sure, should, should. The cow should be in, the cow should have little dotted lines through it, though, to show the different cuts. But um, now this is the, I think this is the first of eight different missed or wrong phone calls during the during the story. Well, here's the thing. Speaking of phone calls, uh, the captain slams the phone down yeah. with a sound effect that I don't think is appropriate for slamming a phone down, which is crash. Crash. I don't think a phone sounds like that okay. when you hit a phone down. Sure. Crash. Nope. Bam. Bang. Slam. Wham. That's the English translation of what the French was, so I don't know. That's right. Bad job, Um, English. (laughs) Then he calls Mr. Bolt. And I'll just say Mr. Bolt, the builder, was based on a character named Monsieur Boulot, who was uh, an actual person, an actual builder that tormented Hergé for two years (laughs) as he was trying to get this project done at his house. And his real name was Boulot. Boulot. And he used his name in the story. He just didn't hide who he was talking yeah. about. Just, I'm going to make a complaint about you in public, in a magazine, sure. in a book that will be Boom. read by millions of people. And um, How'd that go over? Fine. 
No lawsuits? Well, the only problem was, well, the only thing that happened actually was he was contacted by another lady who this guy had done some work for and because she, she couldn't get in touch with him. And he'd built a, a, a terrace at her place that fell over basically the day he was leaving. <laughs> it fell apart. Yeah. And so she was trying to get in touch with him to yeah. get him to come and fix this thing. And she, of course, he wouldn't come. So yeah, he was just notorious in the area. I don't think Ergie was too worried about any problem. I think he could have found lots of people who had uh, the counter suit for I wonder if this is one of those no publicity is bad publicity situations and like you know he's now famous you know it's just like that's I, me i guess it's like and your thing is what is you, you show up late yeah a little bit <laughs> and don't don't do your job so then uh you know he says tells nestor that mr bolt has promised to come tomorrow and <laughs> he's gonna then seeing is believing sir is all we get in the jeeves like way let's look at this though sorry mm-hmm. look at the picture of mr cuts and then yeah. look at the picture of Mr. Bolt. Yes. And they're holding the phone in the exact same way. Yep. Doesn't it almost look like Mr. Cuts is Mr. Bolt and just had to run off and put on an outfit <laughs> and, and this hat and, 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 and just white and put a mustache on? It looks Some, like it looks like similar, Cuts, but not exactly the looks same. Like Cuts yeah. is in disguise there to me. <laughs> if you say so. Exactly the same nose. Yeah, similar nose. Same ears. Okay. Cuts. I'm, Different I'm gonna, chin, though. Different I'm going to put this for, forth now. Different chin. Cuts is Bolt. No, Cuts is more jowly. Mm-hmm. And has a different chin than, than Mr. Bolt. All right, fair enough. I think that's just when you put that collar th- up high like that. That's uh-huh. when you get it. Sure. All right, moving on. So then uh, Captain, of course, after a long watch, long walk, pours himself a drink. And the letters come from uh, Chang, who sends his regards. Good for Chang. And then there's a letter from uh, Bianca Castafiore. Oh, Chang. Oh, Chang. <laughs> Chang. <laughs> and then, of course... Uh, uh, Haddock, of course, Bianca Casafiore, the, haha, the dear old Milanese nightingale. He starts singing My Beauty, the jewel song from Faust, of course. And then, uh, Cuckless hears it and thinks it's a storm coming. And he's not wrong. He's, <laughs> it's true. It is a good little bit of foreshadowing. And, uh, what a delight, what does that delightful creature have to say? Oh, that she's arriving at Marlin Spike tomorrow, says Tintin. And a spit take. And a great spit take, because he spits back into his glass, into his face. And I love how delighted Snowy is at that. Yes. <laughs> And then he, you know, snatches the letter out of out of Tintin's hand, reads it, then realizes what you know that what this means. Starts calling for Nestor, running around. I gotta get out of here. Yeah. Then Nestor falls on the stairs. Yeah, poor Nestor. Second person to fall on the steps. I am glad to see Nestor has gotten his weight back from uh, dealing mm. with that kid. Well, that's a. He's not looking. He's still looking pretty thin to me. Yeah, but not as thin. But as not he as was. thin as he yeah, was. There yeah, was a, yeah. there were some problems. That's there. a pleasant problem to have having to put weight back on. Let's face it. Yeah. Not if you were terrified into losing it, though. I guess. That's not great for the health. (laughs) All that fear coming off. I'm just saying there's a silver lining to every dark cloud. Okay. Fair enough. I'm a glass half full person. Sure, sure. Just like the captain is there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yes. I like his... uh, So then... Uh, the captain, of course, is mad at Nestor for falling down the steps. gives him It gives him a lecture on being careful. Then tells him to get on with his his uh, packing. And then a telegram has arrived from Castafiore. Right. Tintin. I like I like that uh, Snowy is now kind of doing asides to the cat. Yeah. Who we yeah. can't we can't understand what the cat's thinking, but the cat's giving a little meow. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. as a little response. Sure. Feels like there's a parallel book somewhere where you hear what the cat's saying, and Snowy is just woof woof woof. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so, uh, sincere regards, or sorry, sincere regrets, Senior Castafiore writes in her telegram, stop, cannot come. Captain's so happy, he goes, hooray, and throws his glass in the air, basically sending a spray of water all over Kaikilas, who thinks he should have, shouldn't have come without his umbrella, oh. not realizing he's sitting in the house. Right, but nice so reference back to his famous umbrella. Yes, there you go. 
<laughs> Someone should have the band called that, Calculus's Umbrella. Sure, it's a good name. And so then, um, so then Haddock is so excited, he's telling Calculus that she isn't going to come, and he's, of course, Calculus can't understand what he's saying, because he's Calculus. And then it turns out that she's not arriving on the 17th, she's arriving on the 16th, which is today. The captain, of course, is so amazed, he has to take a drink of whiskey, which is gone, because he spilled it all over Calculus. And then he goes running off to get his bags packed and trips on the steps, third person to trip on the steps, yeah. and proceeds to sprain his ankle. Uh, you, t- you take over now. Sure. Uh, he tries to step up, can't, uh, twist his ankle, and the next thing we see is the uh, the doctor is there, saying it's a brad- bad sprain. He pulled uh, some ligaments, mm. and uh, I'm going to put it into a plaster. Uh, but uh, the captain's like, no, I've got to go to Italy. i got to get out of here. No, yeah, out yeah. of the question. Uh, you got to get the, have the plaster uh, for a fortnight. By the way, we've had some discussions on our message board about yes. whether or not North Americans use the term Fortnite. The answer not, is no, not we very, don't. N- not, no or not often. Not very often at yeah, all. Yeah. So how long is a Fortnite again? Two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. It's really only... No, forget it. I was going to make a joke about staying in a fort. But that's stupid. Really? I was going to make a joke about that's one week ankle for two Fortnite. <laughs> anyway, um, so anyway. So the doctor leaves with the, the advice is uh, get to... Uh, Get that step repaired. Someone else might not have your good luck and goodbye. So while he's complaining, two gloved hands reach around, covering his eyes, <laughs> saying, Cuckoo! Yes. And uh, it is Castafiore saying, Ah, dear Captain Fatstock. I do kind of like, you know what? Some corny jokes I don't like, but I do like jokes where someone gets a person's name wrong. Uh, constantly? Con- constantly. And you can just make up the craziest names. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. very shocked to see her. Uh, but he has, she has been let in. Yes. Uh, she introduces uh, Irma, her maid. She introduces uh, Igor uh, Wagner, or Wagner, who uh, is her accompanist, yes. traveling with her as well. And, uh, and then Tintin introduces her to Calculus. Yeah, uh, they have not met. That's right. Right. Uh, so Calculus bends down to kiss her hand. It looks like the button pops out of his collar. Is that what's Yes, his collar. Yeah, he would have a, uh, a, a, a detachable collar on his... He's old-fashioned, is the joke. So he has a detachable collar on his suit. Very nice. So uh, she is saying, oh, you're the man who makes all those daring ascents in balloons. Yeah, so a little reference to uh, his model, model, the man he's modeled on, Auguste Picard, who made daring ascents in balloons. Right, and and he replies, I also went to the moon. How's that? (laughs) Remember when I went to the moon? That's pretty good. Anyway. It's funny that no one cares about that. Uh, no, he's just, he's deeply honored. He's a, oh, such a great artist. An artist of such charm, such distinction. Oh, she's just absorbing all this. Saying, yeah, Tintin has often spoken of your pictures. The delicacy of the drawing in perfect harmony with the boldness of the color. And your portraits, I always, I, I know, always uh, display an amazing likeness. Ah, that sounds right. Uh, <laughs> Grumpy Captain says, uh, please show uh, Signora to her room. Yes, indeed. And uh, she go, replies, how kind. But first, uh, Irma, uh, where is the er, the little something for dear Captain Drydock? And they fetch it, and it is a parrot. Yes. The first... Oh, I love the parrot in this story. I love it and I hate it at the same time. Ah, tell me what you love, tell me what you hate. I just... Well, I love the business with Captain Haddock with and the parrot. And yet you hate. Yeah, I just don't like parrots. Even cartoon parrots. Even cartoon parrots. So, yeah. Interesting. I just find them annoying. And this has one of my favorite... I feel the same way about this parrot that Captain Haddock does, so... My favorite line is on this page. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what it is. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's you know, he's being introduced to the, the parrot. Yes. And then Snowy says to the cat, yeah. I can't stand animals who talk. 
Yes. It's nice because what Hergé is doing in this story, the sort of deconstruction of, of Tintin is to have the animal who talks reference the fact that animals are talking in the story. Yes. So you have this constant deconstruction going on. And I think the same why there's a reference to Auguste Picard as well, is that it's a direct reference to his ant- you know, who he's based on. So you have these little moments where the curtains pulled back to reveal this, the framework behind Tintin. Yeah, it feels like there's a lot of winking in this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, and so uh, the parrot is, uh, is called Iago. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, very affectionate. Uh, we love nice Captain Hopscotch already, don't we? <laughs> She's not even trying to remember his name. And so, uh, of course, the captain puts a finger towards the bird. It makes the same happen? sound. Makes the same sound he made to the young girl, which of course made her bite him. That's right. So, what could possibly go? <laughs> yeah, it just makes you sound tasty. Come on, what's, uh, what's your problem? I there? love it. Yeah, I like uh, all the things he's thinking of uh, doing to the bird One, above his head. The yes. uh, poison, the uh, the gun, the knife, and uh, a plucked uh, yeah. image of a parrot. Yeah. As I say, I believe those balloons show state of mind. So there's an example of that. Very good. So uh, she bandages uh, the captain's finger, saying a pretty little butterfly to comfort the poor sailor man. <laughs> And uh, the maid presents her uh, with, you know, uh, a gift for uh, Tintin, yes. which is, uh, you know, a recording of the Jewel song. Yes, very yeah, nice. That's interesting. Like an album uh, by the singer Jewel. That was very, <laughs> very thinking ahead of time. Ahead of time yeah. Well, it even looks like it's that album with a really long title, judging from all the writing on the back of it. Yes. Um, I wish I could remember the whole title of that. Uh, when the pawn plays his game with the, what, you know that one I'm talking about? Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> so, Tintin. This isn't a Jewel. This isn't a Jewel podcast. That'll be next. <laughs> sure it is. A complete Jewel. Speaking of which, totally jewel. Uh, Tintin is uh, thanking her for this. When all of a sudden she screams, "Mercy, my jewels!" And yes, this will not be the last time. This the uh, first, yeah. And there, like I say, that's the pose uh, that Maria Callas was a famous pose that she's taking with her hands on her face like that uh, uh, by Cecil Beaton. That's the first example of that uh, where he uses once again these little sly references to other things. Right. Uh, so the maid says, "No, I've got your jewels here. Oh, I can breathe again. We're fine." Now, here's, here's the thing. As you were saying, uh, she's a bit of a different character than we've seen before. Yes. Uh, the growth that we've seen in this character over uh, various stories has now kind of been reduced to where she's a bit of a fancy pants. She's a bit of an egotist. She's a bit of a diva. Yeah. Uh, where she before seemed to be a diva, but then, you know, uh, she helped Tintin out. Yeah. You know, when there was a military uh, leader who was trying to kill him, you know, she was covering. Yeah. And she was playing, uh, she was being very smart and cagey yeah. in, in a way that you went, oh, she knows more than this. Uh, persona she's putting forward you know but that's what that's what she's putting forward and in here it feels like she is just that she's kind of the shallow person just thinking of herself can't remember his name she becomes sort of the Margaret Dumont character she's very Dumont yeah and she becomes but I think she needs that character for the story to work you know I think if she's too clever then the story kind of falls apart because you don't have the jewel element. She, you know what I mean? Like, so you need that kind of a flighty yep. lady. Who, and for all that, you know, I mean, I can I can barely complain about that. One, it's comedically effective. Yeah. It works. You also want someone flipping out because if not, then who cares about anything? My mm-hmm. jewels are, who cares? Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, what's it matter? The captain's rich. You know, it's like you're rich. Oh, yeah. a rich person lost some jewels. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the horrors of this. Why don't you go in the basement where there's a bucket of jewels? Take some and go home. <laughs> um well, they're not richy rich, but yeah, I know what you mean. But they're yeah. rich enough that they're, it's mm. a mansion, and I yeah. bet she's got a mansion where she comes from. Yeah. But what you get with this story, which you haven't had in any of the 
previous stories at all is, hey, it's a female character. Yeah. And she's doing things and she's got opinions and, mm-hmm. you know, she's running the Captain Ragged. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> she's hey. running the Captain Ragged. She shuts down Wag. She does stuff that no one else can do. That's right. So she is a strong character. She's a wrecking that, ball that's just come in here she's and a wrecking just, ball just smashing her way through. Yeah. And let's give an alternate theory, too, which is that she's kind of invited herself to stay at Marlin Spike. She's not the first person to do that. That seems a fairly common occurrence. But, well, to I mean, yes, but there usually people are away when like the haddock's away. He comes back to find people. This is the first time where someone's come True. while he's staying there and makes herself at home, brings her maid, brings her, uh, you know, her her accompaniment, company, forget it, her piano player, right? Brings him along, and uh, so I think in a way she has to kind of she has to kind of uh, bluster her way through it. Right. You know, so you have that element of just kind of, let's just railroad through this, get ourselves staying here, and then then we can kind of calm uh, down. And in a, in a certain way, much like calculus, she's living in her own world. Mm-hmm. All she can hear are her own things, yeah. and that's why she doesn't, uh, even though she likes the captain, she doesn't remember his name, because why would she remember her, his name? And There's we'll no reason. S- we'll see a lot of that in the story of different characters talking, and no one seems to be actually communicating with each other. It's just a lot of people talking. And that without... is the basis of farce. Yeah. Is everyone's yeah. got their own agenda, and mm-hmm. then we see how they all uh, conflict. The only thing that we don't have that's an element of traditional farce is one character, well, maybe we do, uh, but we don't know till the end, is like one character who's lying. Yeah. Throughout. That's, that's the normal thing you throw in a farce is one person has a deep secret that they can't reveal, yeah. but we don't have that in that. Now it's just it's just people falling downstairs. Yeah, and... because if you have that element of a, of a lie or something that drives a story, then you have a something happening in the story which is what he wanted to avoid yes so he has to pull back so he's limiting himself he cannot have that one element of the drawing room it is an incredibly tricky thing to pull off and i do and i don't want to spoil things here with how i feel about it but i think he really has pulled it off with Mm -hmm. this story oh yeah he's taken away like all of the tricks Mm -hmm. and it's like can you do this without these tricks yeah yeah there we go the characters are have, have developed enough that uh, that they can just bang against each other here, and we're going to have a good time. Yeah, and I mean, he, and he doesn't really rely on 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 stock things either. I mean, there is a bit of calculus business. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of Thompson business, but not a, an excessive amount of either of those things. Or even, you know, basically, it's a lot of Haddock business. But even Haddock is kind of limited. You don't get a lot of him doing anything but sitting in the chair. Right. You know? So it's a uh, it's it's a real. Um, Real, yeah, real feet. So, uh, so Nestor shows her her room, which she thinks is ravishing. You know, don't <laughs> it is pretty nice. Only where is it? That's my, that's my question. Oh, page eleven. But no, no, I know, I know that. I just meant where is it in the house? Oh, understood. <laughs> well, I don't see any windows, so uh, it, it could be anywhere inside the house. Apparently, he had a relative who was a cardinal. If you look on the back wall. Ah, that's true. Uh, now, something I do like that they have here is uh, she goes, uh, "What delightful old furniture! A four-poster bed." Henry the Tenth, is it not? Uh, to which the butler replies, Charles the First. Uh, precisely what I meant, of course. Ah, <laughs> a bit of a fraud. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so, she, you know, uh, Nestor walks down the stairs. Whoops! Slips on the step. <laughs> but it's a great recovery. Yep, because Nestor is very well balanced when he's falling. Sure. Well, he's had to live with Abdullah, so he's learned all about balance and quick thinking. Yeah, we've seen this when Nestor trips, though, before, where he, he oh, will yeah, catch right. everything. Yeah, that's true. So... Uh, nice end panel where Nestor, uh, you know, well done, Nestor, always keep your head, opens the door, and shock. <laughs> Loses his head. Yeah, hardcore, <laughs> close up, boom. Uh, big exclamation mark. What is he seeing? It is a gypsy caravan. Yeah, a nice front. full panel shot uh, uh, from a different, sort of different angle of the house, by the way. Oh, whoa, yeah, wow, okay, nice. Uh, mm. So, um, so yeah, it's very, very nicely drawn. 
There. Now we're going back inside. Uh, Tintin is putting the telephone uh, next to the captain, who says, thank you very much. I'm very kind. <laughs> and, uh, yes, because you might, might need to call uh, Mr. Cut, Mr. Cutts at any time. So Yeah, Nestor, uh, Nestor uh, tells the situation to the captain and explains, yes, indeed. There we go. Uh, this is uh, this is what I did. Nestor's not that happy uh, with this. Uh, he seems a little bit of a prejudice towards the gypsies, Nestor. Very, very common feeling. Very old school, Nestor. Very, uh, very current school thinking about that's right. those people so uh so while he is uh, saying these uh, things uh he walks up the stairs and uh, i guess hits that step again <laughs> fifth fifth fall fifth fall uh the phone rings and uh he answers it and i will throw it over to you so yes this is haddock here so it turns out that the police are calling a uh, police inspector is calling or actually say cap like, is it a police inspector anyway yes inspector is calling to uh to ask if it's true that haddock has permitted the gypsies to uh camp on his land and the captain says yes that's true it's ridiculous that they were living on a dump and he says well of course they were living on a dump they're gypsies all you're doing is inviting trouble captain i don't or yeah i don't recommend that you do this meanwhile of course you get the uh i beg your pardon did you say shut up no not you i'm talking to this pestilential parakeet will you shut up you hello i can hear you oh i see you're still addressing your parrot Some wonderful cross purposes of talking here. Which the parrot, the parrot really adds to that. Right. Again, another story. nice element of farce is. Yeah. I think you're talking to me. You're actually talking to this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they fill that in with having a bird there. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there we go. So the captain, he says, "Well, I think you're asking for trouble." The captain thanks him for his uh, for his help and says, "Trouble. First, I'm bitten by a little wildcat, then by a parrot. I sprain my ankle. Castafiore descends on me with Irma, and that budding Beethoven." I don't like that uh, budding Beethoven line, but anyway. And they talk about trouble. Ha <laughs> ha, he laughs. Meanwhile, Tintin has uh, got the gypsies settled, is walking back. The great shot of them walking through a, a grassy field with uh, Snowy's head just peeping up out yeah, of the tall grass. Yeah, that's a great shot of Snowy. And then uh, Mike, of course, is mad at them. He hates the gajos. I don't know if they say gajos or gajos. Not really sure. Me neither. They pretend to help us, but in their hearts they despise us. And he says, not these, Mike, not these. Says the, says the older gypsy. Says the old gypsy... But, well, we know that's going to change in a way. Uh, then we get a shot, a different shot of the house again. So we get a lot of different angles of mm-hmm. the uh, the uh, chateau, or Marlin Spike. I guess it would be a manor in England. Uh, so Snowy hears something, and he Tintin follows him and sees some fellows who are running out of the uh, Marlin Spike, the park in Marlin Spike. He goes chasing after them. They jump over a broken part of the wall and jump and in, get into a car and speed off. And Tintin is now wondering, what is happening? And so he, he says, should I tell the captain about this? No, he's got enough on his plate already. So then the phone rings. And then the parrot repeats the ringing with the ring, ring, ring. <laughs> so it's not the phone ringing, it's a parrot imitating the phone ringing. Yeah. And this is a wonderful word from the uh, the captain, which is kirchmertz. Which I love that, that he's so angry, there's just no actual word comes out of his mouth. And then the parrot replies, mercy, my jewels. <laughs> So w- the sense I get from from what the parrot says is that the parrot was owned for quite a while by yeah. Bianca Castafiore, and she has a per- perfect opportunity to get rid of it by passing it on to the captain, and that's what she's done. Ah, yes, yeah, well, that does make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we see uh, Castafiore locking her jewels in a drawer, telling uh, telling uh, her uh, maid Irma, uh, "I'll hide the key to the drawer in this vase uh, over here. Try to remember." But walking in the background is uh, Wagner. Yeah, Igor or Wagner. Igor, Igor Wagner, or Igor Wagner, or Robert Wagner. Yeah, played Robert by, Wagner. Played by Robert Wagner. Oh, so this film. is uh, the first Pink Panther. This film. is the first I'm Pink Panther. My, my mistake. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. You were correct. 
So uh, Tintin lets Captain know that the gypsies are all settled. And they're delighted with their new camp. Yeah. And uh, so the captain goes to sleep and has a... I love the captain's dreams. Yes. He's dreaming of the parrot uh, dressed as Castafiore. Yeah. Uh, singing the song from Faust. Where he's sitting in an audience of parrots all wearing evening wearing their uh, their evening dress, their their tuxedos with bow ties. Except for he, he's naked with a bright red face. I know, it's a great image. Yes. Uh, then there's a, a screech. Uh, he wakes up. Uh, Tintin is in the hallway. <laughs> Uh, is uh, with Castafiore saying, uh, you know, dressed in her nightgown, uh, in my room, in the window, a monster. So Tintin goes to look. No, there's absolutely nothing. Yeah, but the I, first of a, a uncharacteristic but beautiful drawing by by Hergé, uh, and I'm going to say he drew the Tintin. I'm not too sure if he drew the window, but it's such a different sort of a shot. They we've never seen anything like that before, right. of a this a kind of chiaroscuro in that way. It's one of two interesting. Uh, Drawings in the book that are very un- unusual. So, uh, yeah, she's saying there was a monster in the window. A Tintin can't see anything. Then turns to her and goes, but, by the way, the abominable snowman is real and followed us for many days on our last trip. And perhaps he is following us now. Anyway, good night. Good sleep. <laughs> He's very strong. He's, head like a that's, coconut. That's right. Yeah. You'll hear his cry in the night. <laughs> He'll kidnap you and make you eat mice. <laughs> anyway. uh, so she does claim she saw a monster was horrible. And then, mercy, my jewels. Irma, my jewels. You know, yep. no? The classic. Once again, that classic pose. No, no. They found the jewels. They're there. Uh, and then we hear, twit too. The mm. cry of a monster. The cry of a terrible monster. I guess someone who's never lived in the countryside. I guess This so. is all very new. The silence. You know, it's, it is different. Sure. If you're not used to it. And then Tintin assures her, well, it's only a, an old night owl. Mm-hmm. Are you sure? And the footsteps on the ceiling? What? I heard someone walking upstairs. I was certain. No, no, says Tintin. That's the attic above and no one's there. But I assure you, and he's a, but uh, don't be afraid. Senora, go back to sleep. Close your window. You won't need to worry. And uh, apparently doesn't go up to check the attic. Seems mm. like the thing you'd do. But uh, the next morning. At he's night? <laughs> he's, what hasn't he? He's gone into tombs. He doesn't know where the he doesn't know, look. There's two things he doesn't know now. He doesn't know where the Yeti is, yeah. or where Mister Bird is. Okay. So yeah, yeah Mister Bird might be in the attic. Yeah, yeah. There's footsteps up there. Well, no, no, no reason to check that out. <laughs> oh, that's good. Downstairs. There's one thing. There's one thing about Tintin. <laughs> he's not the curious type. No, he's not. He's a mind your own business and type of guy. He's also a procrastinator. He'll never do anything. You know. That's he's, right. He's never proactive. He's a real Mister Bolt. <laughs> So the next morning, uh, he's, he's after a nice big breakfast and getting totally dressed. Yeah. Uh, I might just have a look under uh, Senora Castafiore's window. So uh, he goes and does and says, well, well, well. Seems a very <laughs> casual thing to say when you've spotted footprints underneath the window. Well, she was telling the truth. And he looks up and sees the ivy. Oh, maybe someone could have uh, climbed up there. No, it would never support a, a man's weight. Maybe a child. Maybe uh, a young gypsy girl. Yeah. Climbing up the... Maybe the abominable snowman. He might have. Uh, he's, oh, he's too heavy. Yeah, that's true. Unless his bones are hollow. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know their bi- their, the, the biology of yeah. The, Maybe the it's anatomy. that weird mummy and st- anyway, I forget it. So, uh, so he's thinking about this. Uh, you know, maybe it was. Uh, you know, but but whose? That's the problem. Whose footsteps? Someone from the house? One of those two strangers? <laughs> I chased yesterday a gypsy. Hmm. All right. Well, let's just take a walk down to the encampment. He says, "What's snowy?" Uh, goes looks uh, at some water, and uh, something lands in the water, splashing both him and uh, Snowy in the face. Yeah, and he can't so, see anyone. What a good joke. Yeah. So uh, he looks around. He says, "Come on, Snowy. We shan't find our humorous friend by staying here." And then we discover that it's Mike, the gypsy. Mike. 
Oh, what a guy. He has thrown the rock and uh, splashed Tintin because he doesn't like him. He's a little brat. He doesn't like the way he's snooping around. Yeah, who likes snoopers? Meanwhile, Tintin is snooping. He's laying <laughs> in the grass behind a tree, and he sees Mike walking away, and he says, "What? wonder why he threw the stone at me. Now, here's something that's weird. It's like the first time we saw, you know, this grass, it was so deep that, you know, Snowy's head is just poking on top of it. Yeah. You know, I see that Tintin's lying there, but he seems like easy to spot there. It would make sort of more sense to me if he was in the deep grass that we had seen earlier looking looking at it with maybe Snowy's head poking, poking up. Because look at him. He's got the bright red hair. He's lying on some green grass. Why can't Mike see him? Well, uh, he's the distance away and Mike's probably not looking for him. And uh, if he was laying in the deep grass, he wouldn't be able to see anything. His head would be underneath the grass. His head up would be fine. <laughs> anyway. Okay, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. He has hay fever. This story's ruined for me. Uh, so uh, Tintin noticed this. All it took. The doctor leaving. Uh, he'll have put the captain's foot in plaster. True. Uh, but there's another car. Who does that belong to? Oh, I wonder who. I don't know. Why don't you tell us, Dave? Why, he comes in to see, and why, it's Mr. Wag, he oh, says. Oh, no. Hi there, boy What a boar that guy is. <laughs> Just to add, not only does he have oh, Bianca Casafiore there. Oh, no. The captain's looking extremely day. happy. To see him. All you need is Abdullah to just show up right now. He's got his <laughs> parrot beside him, his leg up with a cast around it, and his finger wrapped with a butterfly knot. And uh, Wag is smoking a cigar. And so I was just passing a client to see to see near here for the old rock bottom insurance. So I said to myself, Jolly, and I said, now's your chance to say howdy to the ancient mariner. And look what I find. The old humbug's falling downstairs. What a scream! Anyway, a bit of luck I popped in. It's <laughs> mean. A proper godsend. <laughs> that's pain. Your, all your foot's been... When has he been sympathetic Terrible to Terrible injury! Ah, good one! When has he been sympathetic? This lady was just telling me about last night's caper, and what does Jolly and Wag discover? Hold on to your hats. Her jewels, her famous jewels, aren't even insured! What about that? A proper carry-on, eh? Worth thousands and thousands. She's got one little sparkler, an emerald, given to her out east by some character, Marjorie something or other. Maharaja, the Maharaja of Gopal. That's the tap. Now, the Maharaja of Gopal is an actual character uh, from the Erge universe. He was in Josette uh, and Jocko's, the Josette and Jocko story, The Valley of the Cobras. Ah. So he's a major character in that story. So you're saying these two universes so, just yes, crossed over. They just crossed over, just like that. Nice. Yeah, they belong together. Uh, and he's a really good character in the story. He's a kind of a, a very, very much, he's very much an Abdullah who's grown up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. All he's right. a very imperious baby who uh, wants to have his own way. He's very upset that Joe and Zet can ski better than him, for example, and thinks they should be punished for it. Just things like that. So anyway, Wag uh, has decided that he's going to, uh, he pretty much has browbeaten uh, Casafiori into agreeing to, that her stuff should be uh, insured. insured. She says, I'll consider it Mr. Bag. And he says, I like that he, by the way, he's like blowing smoke in her face at this point. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'll consider Mr. Bag. Fiddlesticks is all fixed. I'll be back in a day or two with a policy. Cheerio for now, Duchess. Pleased to meet you. And if I were you, Lord Nelson, he says to Haddock, I'd get that step fixed. It had occurred to me. I'm waiting for the builder, says Haddock between clenched teeth. And then they hear a dong from the door and he goes, that's probably him at the door now. He's so excited. And it turns out there's a van at the door from the Bounce Brothers. Removals. Is this Halibut's house? They ask. No, Haddock's why. We've brought the piano, they say. Now the now the captain is really confused. You can go on. Okay. Uh, so Nestor is the piano. Piano with confused spinning things around his face. Uh, captain, piano. Uh, Castafiori. Ah, yes, the piano. It's mine. I hired a piano to practice with Mr. Wagner. I do hope you don't mind. Of course not. I'm overjoyed, he says. Played by Walter Matthau now. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, you sweet old thing. He would have been a good Captain Haddock, yeah. actually. In this story, he would have been great. Yeah. Maybe the more active one. Yeah, yeah he would have so been. Good. I don't know. Now I'm really thinking maybe. Yeah. Yeah, through the whole thing. He's pretty active. He was in the army. Yeah, fair enough. Or Navy. So uh, there. He's saying, uh, you know, uh, you sweet old thing to the captain. In that case, uh, they can put it in here so we can cheer you up. Uh, uh, thank you, but the maritime gallery would be better for you. <laughs> You know, admirable. Uh, Mr. Wagner, see to it, will you? Mm, Certainly, senor. Uh, They go about their business. Uh, And Tintin notices that his shoelace is untied. Yes, Wagner's shoelace, yeah. Yeah, he watches him uh, tie the shoelace. And then Tintin sees something about his shoes. Yes, that it's just like the shoes that uh, he saw underneath the windowsill. Meanwhile, back to the captain. Ring, here on the phone. Or is it? Is it a parrot? Double check. Nope, is actually the phone. Answers it. (laughs) Hello, uh, speaking. Paris Flash International. Beg your pardon? What? An interview? Uh, I'm very flattered. Gladly. You know, I can hear you, says the <laughs> Oh, an interview with uh, Signora Castafiori. Oh, I'm sorry. Because uh, earlier she said no interviews. Make sure there's no interviews. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, but once she hears that this is Paris Flash, whoa. Well, phone. I mean, well, I never. I, ho, 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 ho. You know, of course. <laughs> yes, an interview. Yes, of course. Yes, tomorrow. Mm, yes. Meanwhile, uh, Tintin, thinking to himself, those footprints, they were made by the little uh, pianist. Very odd. Mm-hmm. And we don't often actually see Tintin uh, with a thought balloon. No, that's true. Old-timey thought balloon. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Fiori is all journalists. Oh, they hound one to death. There's no escape. Oh, well, price of fame. So she says she doesn't want an interview, yeah. but she wants an interview. We all know. We all like an ego stroke. That's right. So uh, she, uh, she goes I just on. want to say I don't want any interviews about Totally Tintin. Okay, go on. All right. So uh, she says, uh, i got to go practice with Wagner. Uh, bye-bye. I'll leave dear Iago beside you. <laughs> and then we uh, hear the scales. Uh, it's a wonderful, yeah. Ha, 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 and it's no matter or not, Mr. Cuts the Butcher, no matter, you have the wrong number. The parrot's going, ring, ring, ring. Will you shut up, you cacacanating cockatoo? The parrot, which the parrot says, I can hear you. And then the lady says, I can hear you too, only too well. How dare you speak to me like that? You are an insolent cad, sir. I wasn't addressing you, nanny goat. I was talking to the parrot. <laughs> hello, hello. Billions of blue blistering particles. I don't know what prevents me. And then that moment, one of my most favorite scenes in the book, the parrot headbutts, Captain. <laughs> With a pock. Ah, oh, so good. I I laugh. Every time I read it, I, laugh. I can't yeah. laugh now. because Tintin I'm... is running away with the parrot to yeah. take it to safety. <laughs> take that parrot, drown it, Tintin. Strangle it. I shall do something violent. Right. But then <sighs> the captain kind of breaks down saying, Tintin, for the love of heaven, do something for me. Get me one of those invalid chairs. Uh, then at least I can go outside. Otherwise, I will start raving mad. <laughs> Meanwhile, we cut to outside and see those two people that were chased off the land earlier. Yeah. Saying, no good, she's doing her exercises. We'll have to wait. Yeah. Wait for what? Very mysterious. What a cliffhanger. The next morning, we see Mr. Bolt talking Mm -hmm. on the phone. Yes. Saying, uh, no, we couldn't help it. Had to finish a tombstone. No, it was urgent. What? Yours is urgent, too. Yes and no. Look, I'll be there first thing tomorrow morning. Yes, without fail. I think with fail. With a lot of fail. And then a happy Tintin rolls in uh, to the captain with a nice big wheelchair. Yeah. This looks like a fun wheelchair. Snowy's riding on it. Everyone's having a good time. Here's your new racing car, he says. Yeah, he's so happy to be in his wheelchair. And so, hooray, I'm free, he says, you know, leaving. (laughs) And uh, Snowy is running behind. I just want to say one thing about this wheelchair, though, that's weird to me. That it's huge? Not that it's huge, but the wheels are at the, the big wheels are at the front and the little wheels are at the back, which is unusual. Most wheelchairs come with the 
the big wheels in the back and the little wheels in the front. That is a good point. So it's odd to me. Yeah. I don't, maybe that was an early uh, European thing. So, yeah, he's so happy. And at this point, you know, all of a sudden it feels a bit like um, rear window to me now. Mm-hmm. Now we got a little bit, once yeah. again, another thing that was uh, taking place in one environment. Yeah. Unlike yeah. the movie I mentioned earlier. Let's never mention that movie again. Um, <laughs> he spots. He spots. Shot in the dark? Was that what you were talking about? Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Die Hard, I think I said. Anyway, uh, all takes, takes place, place in the one, one building. One building. One, That's all it takes one place. Room. That's one right, room. One room. Um, so he sees Calculus pruning his roses. And we get a little. Room. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, cut back to the Paris Flash have shown up, and uh, Nestor is letting them in. Uh, and uh, you know, a little dialogue between the captain, and, you know, a little misdialogue. As usual. Yeah. A little cross purposes. A little cross purposes. You know. Uh, you know. And you think by this point, the captain would just bring out a little notepad and just show it to him at this point. <laughs> yes. Think about. But you know what? I think. I guess they're just used to it by this point that they right. just know that that's that's how it goes. So. You know, uh, Captain saying, you know, I might have broken my leg, you know, if I hadn't, you know, I sprained it, but I might have broken it. Then I really have looked the fool cool in the shade, perhaps, but in the sun, it's really quite hot. Anyway, it's that kind of humor that I like so much. Yes, um, you're such a fan of. So anyway. But really, to be fair, unlike, say, The Secret of the Unicorn, where it's, or sorry, The Red Rackham's Treasure, where it really piles it on, this book, fair enough. you know, it's, it's okay. it kind of just, it's sort of, it's sort of dotted in. Sure. It's a little flavoring. A little butter. You know what? We didn't cover yeah. everything in cilantro. It's just a little bit at the side. If you don't <laughs> like it, it doesn't ruin the whole dish. Sure, yeah. So he's talking, uh, um, Calculus is talking about how he is uh, uh, raising a completely new variety of rose. You know, and uh, it's white, uh, pearly, sparking, immaculate, and the shape perfect, and the perfume exquisite. And the name you will never guess, though we hear uh, in the background, uh, we see in the background those two guys sneaking up behind the bush and yelling, Ow! But he does not hear this. Uh, Captain does hear this, asking who shouted. Uh, You know, uh, the name, ah, you will never guess. I had an idea. Some might say uh, an inspiration. The captain, again, is uh, seeing them running away, saying, Stop, whoever you are. Uh, the the two uh, sneaky gentlemen have been, are being chased away by wasps. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and calculus goes on. As I've told you, the rose I have created is white. Now, what is white in Italian? Uh, Bianca, of course. Bianca, you follow me? Yes, Bianca, like our delightful guest. The rose shall be called Bianca Castafiore. A charming compliment, don't you think? Meanwhile, the cal- the guys were running over the notice this. Uh, but again, oblivious. Well, as you usually say, a little bit of farce here because both of them are discussing two different things. The Absolutely. Calculus is discussing his plans to make a rose, to, you know, not make a rose, but to breed a rose mm-hmm. for, for Casafiore. And the captain is talking about two uh, guys who are hiding behind the bushes. And by the time the Calculus says, it'll, you know, his, his uh, new rose will be a complete surprise, the captain's like, what? What's, what, are, what are you talking about? What a surprise. Yeah, we're back on that track. And then this goes away. And again, it's, uh, you know, for the first time, you know, we haven't really had any romantic things because we've had no women in, in mm-hmm. the story so far. Mm-hmm. So for the first time, we're going to have a little something where uh, Bianca is flirting a little bit or yeah. at least fake flirting with the captain. Yeah. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, Calculus seems to have a bit of a crush on her mm-hmm. and is doing mm-hmm. little things in the background. Yeah. And, you know, but in line with how the story wanted the story to go... Uh, it doesn't develop. Mm-hmm. You don't end up with a conflict between the three no, of them. Or not that. At all. It doesn't. There's no triangle that develops. It's no. just. It's very innocent. Yeah. It's very you know something like if you were reading this in grade one, you know it's that kind of thing. Sure. You like a girl, you're gonna breed a new breed of rose because you know you're a crazy <laughs> scientist and you can do such things. Uh-huh. 
So uh, the captain's going investigating the strangers in the park. Uh, then he then he hears Irma, Irma, and uh, Irma is trying to do her needlepoint, okay. uh, but is being bellowed at by Castafiore. <laughs> and uh, the captain uh, tries to take cover behind a bush so he's not uh, seen by her. You know, have you seen Captain Hammock? I simply must find him. Yes, finds him asleep in the shade, and uh, the captain pretending to sleep with uh, some zzz sounds. Ah, Captain Paddock, oh, you naughty man. Look at you asleep in the shade. You'll catch your death of cold. What? Oh, I must have been asleep. Then she puts on his coat. He's on that cold. And then... uh, That's a good point. How warm is it? Like, you know, when we started this, everyone's wearing a jacket. Now Mm -hmm. everyone's kind of loosey-goosey and going out and, like, planting. Well, I guess the summer is coming. Summer's coming, or it's it's later in the day as well. Possibly, but it is. we are going from May maybe to a little bit later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. So then... uh, so we don't just get... This isn't even a flirting scene. This is like they're married already scene. Yeah. She's putting a jacket on him. She's scolding him for wearing his old jersey. But is she doing this as a show for the uh, reporters, or does she really mean this, do you think? I think it's a show for the reporters. I would agree. And I like the photographer's beard. Yeah. That would be a very popular beard nowadays. Yeah, they're a couple of hipsters from yeah. now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, you could dress like this nowadays. Those two guys... If you're looking to cosplay and not have everyone know you're cosplaying as yeah. Tintin, those are the guys to go as. Sure, sure. Yeah, these guys just step straight out of Mad Men. Sure. And so then she introduces the captain to these two guys that she's yeah. been role-playing for. One is Christopher Willow- Willoughby Droop, which is a great name, and Marco Rosato of Paris Flash. Now, in the... Uh, French version, uh, Christopher Willoughby Droop is actually Jean-Louis de la Patellerie and still Marco Rosati. And they actually were based on two actual journalists who worked for the magazine, which obviously is pretty obvious. Paris Flash was the Paris Match, okay, which was a famous magazine in Paris or in France at that time. And uh, so there was a guy named uh, Philippe de Berlin and then a guy named Willy Rizzo who worked for... And so Willy Rizzo and Walter... Caron, so those names are kind of combined into Walter Rosato, and then, uh, yeah, the other name. So he's just kind of, and they actually interviewed Hergé and produced this completely error-filled article <laughs> that totally drove him crazy. So yeah, he's just, once again. Man, it's a vengeance-filled story, yes, isn't it? Yeah. It's going lots, after everyone. Lots of references. I wonder if Castafiore uh, was, uh, so, I mean, I know it was uh, based on a picture, uh, that one image, but yeah. I wonder if someone, yeah, going after someone there. Well, uh, he did not like opera. Ah, he did not like good. opera at all. Yeah, just going after opera. His friend, uh, his friend E.P. Jacobs was a huge opera fan. In fact, he sang opera and wanted to be an opera singer, but well, that didn't work out. He turned to cartooning. But uh, yeah, he loved opera and always tried to get Hergé to to enjoy opera, and Hergé refused to refused. That's right. Although there is an opera reference, which we'll talk about later. Ah, very good. So uh, it's time for now some more farcing around. So uh, the reporters, <laughs> yes. you know, are going, uh, what do you make of all this? Same as you, chum. It's a sensation, but we must be sure. So they go and they talk to Calculus. Yes, go talk to the gardener. That's right. And we get some uh, misinterpretation here where Calculus thinks, oh, they've told him about the rose. Yeah. The captain, the captain has told him yeah. about the rose. How dare he? But now, oh, well, very upset. So uh, so he's saying, you know, great sunspots. And he promised to say nothing. It was to have been a surprise. They're thinking, oh, you're talking about the wedding, huh? It all depends on the we- weather, but it could happen any day now. You know, so imminent, huh? How long has this been fixed? Can you give me any information about how they met? Precisely, it was two years ago. You know, at the Chelsea Flower Show. But shh, here she comes. And the captain, not a word of this. I gotcha. <laughs> Again, really good farcing around there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, uh, we, we see like a meanwhile and uh, Wagner's on the phone uh, talking while holding a piece of paper, looking very suspicious, mm-hmm. saying, you got that? Sugar plum. 
Oriana. Semiramis. 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 Pharaoh. All right. That's it. Exactly. No, no. I'll ring it myself. Okay, then. Till tomorrow. Yeah. Back to the garden. Back to the garden. We So we have uh, Cassifiore posing with the captain, who looks incredibly happy to be posing with Cassifiore <laughs> yeah. in the garden. He and, is. Uh, this is completely a Walter Matthau character now. He's now completely <laughs> gone full Matthau. You know. And then Calculus presents her with a, a modest rose, the crimson glory, until er, something better comes along. <laughs> oh, Professor, she takes it. What a sweet scent. Then she proceeds to shove it into, into the, basically into the captain's <laughs> nose. Yow, he yells. And my favorite, favorite drawing in the story comes up here. Oh, he's been stung by a bee. He's holding his nose. And then it's revealed to already be swollen. He must have some sort of allergy. I mean, I'm surprised he's not. Sure. He must have a, like an EpiPen nearby because he's <laughs> already sw- more swollen than his face, practically. And then it's a f- fantastic drawing where she uh, she applies crushed rose petals to his nose to help ease the pain. <laughs> yeah. The most wonderful drawing. Extreme close-up of, of, yeah. uh, uh, of him very angry. And like I say, uh, once again, the captain is o- often the center, or mostly the center of close-ups in this story for some reason. I think just because he's so key to it. And yeah, so we have, uh, yes, that wonderful drawing of him with a bunch of roses <laughs> piled up on his swollen red nose. Classic. Yeah. So, so uh, she then Still says, now my friends, I must leave. I must change for lunch. Ciao. Uh, walking away going, tra-la-la-la-la. And then this is my favorite name for him. Uh, where she t- looks at Tintin and goes, you're looking for Captain Maggot, I'm sure. <laughs> Find him in the Rose Garden. Oh, he's been stung by a, de- a bee. Poor darling. I'm like, yeah. oh, a bee sting on the nose. Poor Captain. This must be, uh, could be horribly painful. Snowy looks up and goes, happens to me all the time. <laughs> But not in this story. Snowy yes. actually gets away pretty clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we go, there, Ma, Ma. It's like, uh, yes, madam. Oh, it's you. So, it's just, it's just, something frightful has happened. I've just broken my necklace. So Tintin goes looking for all the uh, pieces of the necklace, yeah. finds all the beads, you know, and uh, and uh, we hear uh, Kestaviar going to Irma, there you are at last. I've been calling you for hours. You should have uh, been here to pick up my necklace. You know, I'm so grateful, my young friend. It's not that this necklace is particularly valuable. It's only fashion jewelry, but it's from uh, Tristan Bior. And uh, what you like, Bior, and say what you like, Bior is still Bior. Yes. I wonder why they didn't say a Bior is still a Bior. But, because uh, that's a pretty, not a bad joke, I thought. But anyway, basically, obviously Christian Dior is yeah. the uh, model for that. And uh, obviously, and then one of my other favorite lines in the story, <laughs> Tintin turning going, now let's see about the captain's nose. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we come back. The captain is still wearing the, the, the rose petals, though. It seems strange to me that he just went and brushed them off. Right. Well, maybe they are helping. Maybe that's the problem. Is like it's working, mm, but he feels like an makes ass. Makes it even worse. Yeah. So uh, now we're having a little miscommunication between him and, uh, and Calculus. You know, uh, about, you know, him uh, kind of saying, why would you tell him about my rose? What? Your rose? Will you shut up about that? Uh, about your rose blistering barnacles. If I hadn't uh, if I hadn't had one shoved in my face, I shouldn't uh, have a nose like an overgrown strawberry. Oh, no. White. Eh, mix up, mix up, mix ups. Back yes. to uh, Castafiore and <clears throat> and uh, the maid, Irma. You know, excuse me, madam, have you seen my little scissors, the gold ones? And this is where she kind of becomes a bit of a jerk to me. Mm. Uh, she's going, why should I have seen them, girl? It's my not my job to look after your things. You know, uh, have a good look, my child. No one's going to steal a pair of scissors, are they? No, madam. Well, you know, now you're a bit of a, now you're a, bit of a jerk. Uh, we cut back and see the little girl from earlier. She's at the camp saying, little scissors made of gold. Aren't they pretty, Uncle Mike? Eh, very nice, he says, while weaving baskets. Yes. He took a course, Basket Weaving 101. Sure, that used to be a thing. 
Uh, th- that used to be the go-to joke when you were taking a night yeah. school course was yeah. basket weaving. Yeah. Was there a need for baskets? Well, celebrate the gypsies, I guess. Yeah. So we cut to three days later. Nestor's walking along, holding his knee and his hip, obviously falling on the steps. We see the captain, who has now been transformed. Mm, uh, yes. Uh, he's wearing a fancy uh, jacket. His hair is combed. He... Yes. He's been made over. He's yeah. Eliza Doolittle. He's been Castafioried. Yep. Yes. So I like I like him talking to uh, <laughs> I like him talking to Bolt, but actually he's talking to I guess Bolt's uh, wife, you know, who's saying, uh, "Oh, the gentleman from the hall." Uh, no, 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 he's been gone since first thing this morning. He's sitting right just a few feet away, reading a magazine or a book called Brawl. Uh, no, no, that's the back. That's the ad on the back of the magazine. Oh, what is it? What's the ad for? Brawl. It looks like it's a laundry detergent because oh, it has stuff. Stuff hanging from clotheslines and some bubbles. Oh, very good. Okay, anyway. Uh, so anyway, she's covering for him, saying he's gone. And, uh, you know, no, I'll, 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 I'm afraid uh, I don't know. No, I'll tell him, sir. Without fail, sir. Oh, that bolt. He's they're, no good. They're both reading the same magazine, actually, both the captain and... Uh, Is that right? Yes, because if you look on the top of page 27, you can see the back of the magazine that uh, the captain's reading. Oh, brawl. Yeah, very, very true. It was a very popular magazine at the time, that magazine, whatever that was. Paris Flash. Ah, well, who wouldn't want to read that? Anyway, the phone rings, and back over to you. The phone rings, and it's our friend... I like you doing wag. You like me doing wag? Yeah. Oh, thanks. Uh, hello, is that you, old shipmate? This is Jolion. Congratulations, you old humbug. You certainly had your old pal fooled. Had you fooled me? I don't understand. What do you mean? Ha <laughs> ha, still s- keeping your trap shut, eh? That's okay by me. Keep your hair on. I just wanted to be the first <laughs> to congratulate you. But, and don't let... Sh- your Castafiore do anything about that insurance. I've got to go off on the road for a while, but I haven't forgotten it. I'll be back one of these days. Well, so long, old horse. And once again, all the best. Click. Uh, uh, congratulations. What's that gas bag on about now? Says Haddock. Yes, and you're right. He has had a remarkable transformation. He reached down to his hair being combed. He begins to fill his pipe. Here's the doorbell ring. Nestor comes in and says, a telegram for you, sir. A telegram? Which was always incredibly serious. Everyone just, a telegram's here. Yeah. You just stop. You stop. Yeah. Check it out. Billions of blistering barnacles. What does this mean? Says Haddock reading in the telegram. He shows it to Tintin. Read that and tell me if it conveys anything to you. And that idiot wag just, just run up to congratulate me. Oh? Heartiest congratulations. Captain Chester, reads Tintin. Doesn't make sense, does it? And then the cap- another close-up of the captain. Doing, doing. Going, <laughs> doing his pipe filling out his mouth. What? And now we see we can connect the brawl on the back of his magazine to the brawl on the back of... Of cut or sorry, of Bolt's magazine. By the way, I like uh, the, the captain. Basically, has little orphan Annie eyes. He's got the little round mm-hmm, eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like when you get into a close up. Then you get to see the little pupils. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, now we see the cover of Paris Flash. It's a scoop. The Milanese Nightingale will marry Bianca Castafiore. Will marry old sea lion. It says. <laughs> And then we look inside, and at the Chelsea Flower Show, famed the world over for its exotic blooms, Bianca Casafiore met her future husband, retired Admiral Hammock. Our reporters have made have been sorry have been to Bar- Marlette's Bike Hall to bring you these intimate glimpses of two happy people. And then it says as a headline, "My love is like a red, red rose." And then we have a series of photos: the captain getting bit on the nose, him staring balefully at a parrot, and this was a response by Hergé to many, many requests at the time for Haddock to marry. <laughs> Ah. They wanted him to get married, and so this was kind of his his way of uh, of answering his fans with with the not real marriage of the of the captain. I just love him being so so angry. Loneliness banished. He never tires of hearing the golden voice singing for him the famous jewel song from Faust. 
blistering barnacles wait till I get my hands on the miserable molecule of mildew who dreamed up this balderdash. Nice line. Hello, I can hear you. And then he, the magazine smashes into the parrot. <laughs> ah, so good. Yep. So good. Then Casfier enters. Biongiorno, Tintin. Biongiorno, Captain B- B- uh, Bootplack. Have you seen the marvelous article about me in Paris Flash? Now let me just interrupt you here and go, yeah? like, is there... Uh, is there any word in the history of uh, Hergé on this, like, on who designed all these women's outfits? Because this is a lot of women's fashion. He did from, it. Did he, he did it, yeah. Okay, yeah, because yeah, there's been none so far, basically. But if you look at... But, Everyone's but he, wearing but, traditional garb of whatever country you're in. No, but necessarily, like, in scenes of Belgium and stuff like that, when he's at the True. theater and things right, like that. that's fair, yeah. You know, he, he often... And I think because it's partly because he, when he first started with... Uh, the Vantium Sackla, he he edited the women's pages ah, and drew fashions and nice. stuff of like that for that. So I think he took that eye to to the comic. Because these are some good outfits here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you'll often see that throughout the stories. The women, even if they're not playing minor or major characters or just background, they're always drawn uh, with with authentic, convincing fashions, you know. Okay. So, yes. So she enters. And... Yes, you carry on. Oh, me. All right. Uh, she's <laughs> oh. saying, have you uh, seen this marvelous article about me and Paris Flash? I like that she says about me, not yeah. about us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have seen it, madam. You call it marvelous. Are announcing our marriage. Yeah, it's priceless, isn't it? It doesn't mean a thing. The newspapers have already engaged me to the Maharaja of Gopal to Baron uh, Halmazout, uh, the Lord Chamberlain of Sildavia, uh, to Colonel uh, Sponses, to the Marquis de Gorgonzola, and goodness knows who. So you see, I'm quite used to it. So I was going to say, so those are all references to characters from other yeah, stories. So yeah, nice. it just keeps, keeps the universe turning. Well, let's have the phone ring, and it is Thompson and Thompson. You know, uh, with a, with a P and without, our best uh, bishes, I mean our wet dishes, I mean many congratulations, I mean spoonerisms, I mean we've just seen Paris Flash, and then bang, hang up. And they both go, are we still in the series? I'm like, I don't know, maybe you are, maybe you aren't, we might see you soon. Nine-witted nine-pins, which All is right. also another good phrase. Very good. Uh, Did I say nine-witted, nit-witted nit-witted. Yes, I also like Sorry, everybody. Sorry, everybody. Uh, calculus is reading the magazine and is very upset, uh, saying, not a word about my rose. Uh, but then, oh, goodness gracious, congratulations, he says. <laughs> and then uh, Nestor delivers a lot more uh, envelopes. So yes. Congratulations. A few telegrams, sir, and maybe allowed, sir, to offer my most respectful felicitations. Good wishes. Cuts the butcher. Congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Bolt. Uh, sincere greetings, uh, Dr. Patella. Uh, my most delighted good wishes, Olivieri de Figuier. I just yeah. love how the captain looks. He's just... Uh. His yeah, it, face is red. He's got the sweat dripping off him, spinning lines. He's so exasperated. Yeah, lots of references to other uh, stories. Yeah, Dr. Patella from the Moon books. Yep. Uh, so we have the phone ring again. Uh, it's like, oh, one moment, says Nestor. Uh, it's a television company, uh, sir. They want now television? Ah, oh, leave me alone. I refuse to behave like a performing seal in front of a camera. But, sir, nah, there's no <laughs> but about it. And enough of the reporters. Tell them I'm out. Uh, but it's Senior Castafiore they wish to speak to. Oh, but I never... Ooh. Hello, I can hear you. A supervision, uh, which is kind of a funny name. Uh, yes, I'd adore to. When? Tomorrow? Lovely. Yes, look forward to seeing you. Hmm, they're coming over tomorrow. And then uh, we hear blaring music. Where from? Go outside. It is the Marlin Spike Prize Band. Uh, I also like my... Calculus staring intently at the magazine saying, Someone here must have given all this to the reporters. I wonder who it was. <laughs> Yes, we cut outside, and as I say, this was based, uh, I said earlier, this was based on an actual experience that Erge had where a marching band came up to his house, uh, dropped by, played a few songs, was 
you know, given some uh, alcohol to uh, to say thank you for playing. And get out of here. And yes, and leave soon. And they got royally plastered and proceeded to give uh, three cheers for Spiru. <laughs> add insult to injury. I'm uh, sure Ajay saw the humor of it. Yeah. You know, but... I'll make money off this in the future. That's Bye. Right. Bye. I know. You give the money in the same way that you say this line, which is, it was a pleasure seeing you, which is a way of saying, get out. Because <laughs> yes. there's nothing that happens after, it was a pleasure seeing you. Yeah, there you go. But I do like the drawing of, of the band. Uh, yeah, well, that's you know, great. Four Sheets of the Wind, is that expression? And yeah. Just, uh, the drummer. Playing, the drummer's playing with a bottle on his bass drum and... Yeah, the uh, tuba player has walked into a tree. Uh, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> the the it look, it looks like the ob- oboist or cor anglais player is is uh, crawling with his instrument. Maybe it's just a clarinet. I don't know. Yeah, what then do I know f- for instruments? I don't know either. Uh, the following afternoon, uh, the TV folks show up. They say, "Forgive us for being late, uh, but uh, we were caught in a traffic jam. Then we wasted time trying to find the way, and to crown it off, we had a breakdown." Oh, did you? How priceless! It could be funnier. Anyway, uh, Thundering Typhoon's a full-scale invasion. Uh, so he's trying to make his way around. He gets hit by a light that the guy's carrying. Yes. Not a not a light, not just a light, but by a, a floodlight. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit pretty heavy. Yes. Pretty painful. Pretty heavy. Uh, so uh, so we now see those two uh, guys that ran ran away earlier. Mm. Uh, they're out in the car, uh, saying, uh, "Television boys, now or never, Gino. In you go. Mix in with the crowd and get to work. You know, I'll wait. In the, I'll wait in the car just down the road. Okay." Okay, I'll take my gear and chance it. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, what does that all mean? I don't know. They wouldn't go in when she was practicing, but now that everyone's there, yeah. somehow it seems okay. Well, no, because there's so many people there that he can, yeah. that, you know, no one will know. No what, one will are they, what do they want? That's a good Dave, question. what do they want? My jewels. Ooh. All right. Uh, nice uh, uh, big panel here uh, showing everyone setting up for the television shoot. We see the piano. We get a nice sense of scale here. Uh, the guy uh, goes in with his stuff, saying, I'm inside anyway, to himself. Uh, and One interesting thing is, if you look in the background, you see the three model unicorns in the background. Oh, you do. And it's a reference. I think that's curious, because it's a reference to the only other Tintin story that takes place entirely in Belgium, which is the, he's the only ones that take place in, you know, yeah. Nice. Anyway. All right. So uh, the uh, television fellow is saying, I better explain. It's a telerecording, and we're uh, put, also putting it on film. Oh, I see. Perhaps we can talk more easily sitting down. Right. All right. Uh, I shall appear in the first sequence, say a few words of introduction, uh, and then blah, 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 blah. At the end of the sequence, I shall ask if you'd be kind enough to sing something, especially for the viewers, naturally, with pleasure. Uh, thank you. And for the second sequence, you'll cross slowly to the piano, where your accompanist will be waiting, and uh, you sing. What will you sing? Ooh, how about the Jewel song from Faust, for instance? Yeah. How about any other song? How about Happy Birthday? Any- okay. <laughs> Yes, she does I like, like the that idea song. that she only knows one song. Yeah, it seems to be that way, doesn't it? Right. But it does. It spoils it at the end. That that idea, but uh, yeah, there's a bit of me that really wanted the captain to be forced to sing instead and have to do his pom pom songs. <laughs> and then afterwards, I close the interview with a few words of thanks. Just so, hey, good, hey, good, hey, good. So we're gonna get <laughs> everything all started up. Uh, they're like, good, all right, checking out things. How's this for balance? Okay, silence. Got sound on. Vision on. Okay, and so we begin, and we see the suspicious fellow saying, so far, everything's going like clockwork. One other interesting thing is uh, the cameras are basically a very short-lived technology where you film simultaneously a television, like video, mm-hmm. and film in the same the same unit, but uh, that's, it only lasted for about a year. 
just when Erge was doing this book, so he did all this research mm -hmm. on how television uh, was filmed, you know, used the that very current technology, and then it soon was uh, obsolete. So it's yeah. interesting. It's very cool. And again, I love the neckbeard. Uh, <laughs> well, very much of its time, that whole beatnik look. Absolutely. That's a good look. So, uh, so you know, the uh, this is all starting. Uh, you're getting the good evening viewers. Tonight's a very special occasion. So-so. Uh, we see a little control room they've set up uh, there. And then uh, Calculus spots this control room and is shocked, saying, Why, you've installed television three sets at once and you never told me? Captain Cherish. Oh, look, that's the Senor Castafiori. Uh, yes, I assure you. Oh, someone must tell her at once. <laughs> yes. He is really being the goat here. Let yeah. me just say that much. Yeah. Uh, so he runs into the other room where he trips on all the wires, uh, disturbing the broadcast and causing uh, her to scream. Eek. Yeah. And uh, he's very upset at this point. Stars above. What's the meaning of this masquerade? A wedding is arranged. I'm the last to hear about it. You install television. You don't tell me. They're shooting a film here and no one says a word. It's a conspiracy. Everyone's plotting to keep me in the dark. Wear your hearing aid. <laughs> And poor Senor Castafiori is appearing on television and no one is thinking of telling her it's monstrous. Because he has got a crush on her. Yes. And uh, Tintin says, come with me, Professor. It's all a misunderstanding. Let me explain. Pained? Me? Pained? Well, certainly not, but... And so back to the broadcast. And then we do see Tintin explaining to Calculus, and Calculus has a little uh, ear horn. Yeah. Finally. Because he's only deaf in that one ear. <laughs> Just a little deaf. Right. All right, I'll throw it back to you. So then we have... Uh, uh, Cassavieri is being interviewed. She's talking about uh, what plans she has. She says she has a series of recitals in America, which the captain says, poor Americans, what have they done to deserve it? <laughs> then to South America to conquer the capitals and reduce them to ruins as well, he says. And then, which works will you perform in your tour, or should I say triumphal pro progress? Well, she says, oh, she'll be singing Rossini, Puccini, Verdi, Guni, oh, silly me, Gunod. Ah, Gunod, wasn't it in Gunod that you were achieved your greatest success made your name in fact yes the jewel song from faust swept me to the pinnacle of fame yes we we know we yeah, know we've we heard know. it we know <clears throat> so of course he's gonna ask her to sing so the captain says emergency take cover she's going to sing then we see the shot of him going past the doorway and seeing the parrot inside he says hello i can hear you next as uh cassafiore proceeds to begin to sing ah my beauty my past compare these jewels braid i wear he uh puts the he, uh, someone, a mysterious hand, introduces the parrot into the into the room where the TV show is being recorded, and then we hear the parrot squawk loudly, "I can hear you, sacrilege! Who dares interrupt? Got? Ah!" She says, "Madamina, it's Iago. He escaped from his perch." And then she, of course, is uh, all she's okay with. She's that. okay with that. It's just the parrot puts it back, and she says, uh, saying to the captain, uh, just imagine, he got free from this perch hall by himself, just to come and hear me. Hmm, yeah, amazing. <laughs> he looks so innocent. I can't believe that anything happened. That uh... the f the shot of her singing and all the cameras uh, recording her is, is a pretty great shot. It's a uh, yes, it's really yes. nice look. It's nicely colored. The whole mm -hmm. thing. That's great. Yeah, it's nice how they have the sense of the, all the light shining on her, and then just the yeah. dark background behind them. Yeah, it's very. Now, well what colored. do you think the reality in the Tintin world is? Is she a good singer? or Is she a terrible singer? Is it just something that the captain and Tintin both think she stinks, and the rest of the world is like she's great? Or what's what's the situation? Yeah, I think the rest of the world is caught up in the hype of Bianca Castafiore, ah. and uh, can he, and they who are not, you know, his first. Ex Tintin's first experience of her is in a car, 
her singing this straight out st- singing in a enclosed space to him. Right. So his experience is a little different, and I think Haddock is the same. And it could just be that they're both tone deaf and don't care for music, which Erge was too. He did not care for music at all. Okay. He, although later on he liked Debussy and some jazz and stuff like that, but mostly to him music was noise. Uh, it was just innate of soundtracks or movies and stuff like I that. I get the feeling that you're right, and it's an emperor has no clothes mm-hmm. uh, situation. Everyone is swept up in the in the hype. I yeah. like that way of going. Okay. So, uh, you know, uh, meanwhile, you know, uh, quick, uh, wait, actually, that doesn't make any sense here. Because uh, it's, it's going like she's uh, putting the parrot back, and then it's meanwhile. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, because it should just say later or something like that. Yeah. 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 Uh, then it's like, all right, quiet studio, please. And then she starts singing again, and then the lights go off. You know, and we get a, mercy, my jewels. <laughs> you know, ah, my jewels, upstairs, run. Oh, wait, no, that's not the parrot. That's her. Uh, so, yes, madam. Sorry, I thought it was. Mercy, my jewels again, running around. Pluck, pluck, pluck. Bang, boom, boom. Slam. Yeah. But it's like whack, that he says, whack, whack. Snowy, stay close to me, otherwise you'll get trodden on. Then the next panel is, yep, yep, yep. Yep, true. Like it. Uh, then Tintin's opening the door, saying, down the drive. Someone's running away. Great snakes. It's the photographer. No, I'm too late to catch him now. Uh, he really gives up on chasing those guys. You know, he's normally the kind of guy that'll hop on a motorcycle and give chase, but uh, <laughs> it's like, you know what? I'm not going to leave the house. Yeah, I can't. There's a force field around yeah, it that prevents me from that's leaving. Right. There's a force field around it, I should say. Uh, oh, Get it? Oh. very nice. End the episode now. <laughs> uh, so the lights go back on. Uh, Tintin asks, what was it, Nestor? Only the fuses, Mr. Tintin. Uh, meanwhile, car's driving away. This'll please the boss. Nice. Uh, Irma comes down the stairs. Uh, she falls down the stairs, hurting her buttocks. Uh, we do not see the fall. Possibly the see? 18th fall in the story. I've lost count now. Sure. Uh, and then uh, she says to uh, to her, uh, "Your jewel, madam. Your jewel. Your your jewels. In heaven's name, girls, speak. You know, gone, madam. All gone. Boo hoo hoo. Mort. Mort. They both faint. Yep. Yes." And uh, Castafiore is laid out on the couch, and I assume the maid is just thrown on the ground. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Igor also faints. So. <laughs> yes, he does. All three of them, so such sensitive artists. And so they have to get the smelling salts, something mm. that people just don't have anymore. But you had them back in the day. Yeah, you did. You, you know, did. people are wearing corsets, very uh, tied up. We just realize it's so much more fun to slap someone. <laughs> sure. Or throw the water on. Throw them. water in the mouth. Good. So uh, Tintin says, uh, "I may as well tell you, your photographer skedaddled off under the cover of darkness." I like skedaddled. You know, uh, I saw him making a dash for it. Our photographer, who photographer who was here just now, he's nothing to do with us. Oh, I thought he belonged to your outfit, and I thought he was a private photographer engaged by Signora Castafiore. Uh oh. Then who the heck was it? It's kind of a weird use of skedaddle, though, because that's an American term. Yeah, it's also it's kind, kind of, of an old man thing to say. Yeah, civil civil war term. Yeah, so uh, so uh, captain's on the phone saying, Hello, Marlin Spike Police. This is the captain. What? I said, wrong number, sir. This is Cuts the Butcher. No, nope, not at all. <laughs> and he goes, where's your diploma? Why isn't it on your wall anymore? <laughs> I faked it. I never went to butcher school. <laughs> so he's talking to the police, uh, telling him uh, what went on. There's been a serious robbery. Huh? Stroke of luck? What? No, no. You know, uh, there, there, uh, there were, uh, they were with you. Good heavens, on their way. They'll be here any minute now. But what were they doing? Yeah, oh, I see. All right, I'll wait till they arrive. Goodbye, Inspector. Hmm, there we go. So, uh, so someone's coming. Oh, I just think it's blistering barnacles. What were those two Ostrogoths doing at the Marlin Spike Police Station? He says as he rolls away from the phone. Right, and then we have the parrot going, Hello, I can hear you, as the as the uh, door. Uh, well, I hear a smash outside. Yeah, it's more of a bang, 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 b
And uh, visitors, he said, I bet it's the Thompson, says uh, Tintin. Quite right. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see that they have smashed their car into a truck. What a great drawing that is, by the way. It is a very good drawing. Uh, And uh, so Tintin goes out to greet them. Uh, talking about how this happened and whether they uh, they they used the brake to a little too late or didn't brake at all, and uh, they've heard about uh, this uh, Casa Fiori uh, jewel incident, and uh, they're uh, being welcomed up. And then uh, the captain says, "You dunderheaded Ethelreds, I suppose you've come to shut the stable door, huh?" Oh, good evening, Captain. Stable door? No, we came by car. This is an interesting thing here. Is in the French version, it actually makes a reference to opera in this in this. I don't know why they didn't keep it in. In in the v- version, uh, he says to them, uh, he says, "What did he say? Uh, did you uh, did you by chance do your do your military service with the Carabinieri's of Offenbach, which is a reference to Le, this opera called Les Brigands?" Okay. And in in it, it, there's a line that says, "We are the Carabinieri's protector of ho- uh, protector of houses." Let's say, mm-hmm. but by an unfortunate coincidence, we always arrive too late. So that's what it's a reference to. In this, it's weird because they say Ethelred's, which is a reference. And I looked this up because I was like, well, how is this, how is Ethelred connected to this? Comparable, yeah. yeah. And in that, it was based on this character, the actual king from around the time of Danish invasions of England, this person named Ethelred the Unready. And that's the only <laughs> connection. So it seems very strange. It's much wittier in the, in the Hergé version than in the translation, I think. Right. Uh, yeah. So a few minutes later, Tintin's explaining the situation. Uh, to, to them, uh, saying it was stolen, all this, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the current went off, fuses went, all things we know, uh, and then, um, you know, one of the Thompsons says, well, since you're so keen to dot the I's and cross the T's, I'd be interested to hear your answer to another little question, uh, which I might ask you. Uh, you say the fuse is blue, all right, to Tintin, but did you discover that for yourself? No, no, it was Nestor who told me when he came up from the cellar. Ah, Nestor the butler, aha! Aha! <laughs> Nestor, who worked for those crooks, the Bird Brothers, a good testimonial. That's an interesting point. That's right. Nestor did work he for did work criminals. He did work for them. Yep, that's true. He that's did. right. But one of, one of them is on the loose. That's Possibly right. living in the attic. Probably. Yeah, we should check that out sometime. <laughs> sure, one of these days. Oh, boy. Uh, so uh, Tintin has had enough of that. You know, you know perfectly well. When those gangsters were tried, the evidence proved that Nestor knew nothing of their activities. Anyway, uh, and the captain's not having it anyway. Uh, Nestor is absolutely honest, and I forbid you to suspect him. Well, we shall see. So uh, they're going to go, you uh, will proceed with the routine questioning. So off they go to uh, to talk to the crew, uh, get introduced. And uh, Signor Castafiori is just coming around. Uh, and they, uh, they talk to her. He's saying, you know, where were the jewels usually uh, hawked? I mean, locked. In, uh, ju- in the drawer in my room. Oh, my jewels, my beautiful jewels. Dead or alive, we'll find them, uh, madam. Leave no stone unturned. That's our policy, which reminds me, I presume your jewels were fully insured. Oh, no, gentlemen, Mr. Swag promised to fix the whole thing for me. Swag? Fix it up? Fix? What? Madam, is this some sort of conspiracy? Mm. These guys are terrible police officers. <laughs> Tintin knows this, too. Yes. I don't know why he's letting them do this. <laughs> So, uh, Humor them. There you go. So, uh, as your jewels were in a drawer upstairs, was it uh, locked? Yes, then the key was hidden in a vase. I, I fetched it uh, from there earlier on when I took them, took the case out of the drawer. The case? Which case was that? Well, my jewel case, of course. I, Mama Mia, I remember now. And it's underneath the pillow. <laughs> well, she promptly throws into Thompson's face as, yeah. she, as she searches underneath to find, to reveal the case. Oh, I really am a feather brain. I completely forgot. Oh, my, 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 my. Oh, they're not amused, those two. No. Yeah, quite happy. so. We are not amusing. 
they were not amusing. They're so upset they leave and put on their hats, but have two pillows in their hands and put the pillows on their head instead That's of their hats. That's not a bad joke. No, here's your hats and mind the cables. Thank you. We can manage. We've told you before we're not children. And of course, the next shot is everyone looking off off frame with a bang and a cling. And we know that they've fallen because the next panel we see, they're holding their foreheads and stars are floating around their heads. I told you to look out for the cables. The cables, yes, but those were wires. Entirely different. And then they sort of limp off in their busted up citron right. du CV. Now, we are at a point in the story. We're at mm-hmm. page 40 yes. and we have no problems. No. At all. There's no, no problems. Nothing's gone wrong. No. Nothing. Everything's fine, yeah. right? So uh, we got we got like 22 pages to go. Yeah. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Anyway, Tintin goes, ah, uh, you know, that photographer still puzzles me. I'm going to mm-hmm. go for a walk in the woods. So yeah. off, off he goes. Hope something happens because seriously, not, there's nothing wrong here. We've got no conflict. Yeah. Uh, maybe Chang can go missing again. So Tintin's <laughs> walking. It must be a terrible Chang. night. Yeah, but Tintin goes, what a perfect night. It's even a perfect night out. There's nothing wrong. <laughs> so he hears some music and uh, sees the gypsies playing uh, guitar, sitting around. And I was just going to say, that's the other very atypical shot in this, uh, that, that heavily chiaroscuroed shot of the gypsies playing. Almost a, it's almost like a kind of a cliched shot of, of yeah. gypsies around the campfire, you know. Uh, what a haunting! What haunting music it is! But I do Tintin. like the idea of Tintin out by himself and how it separates him with the kind of cold lighting of his of him standing in the field looking at them with the warm fire around them. So they're in this kind of orange yeah, glow, and he's nice. in this very blue glow, and it's 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 an interesting con- uh, contrast. I like that. Yeah, this does feel very realistic. It really grounds him. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, Snowy, you must go back. How quiet it is here in the wood! wood not a sound, not a leaf stirring. Silence. <laughs> and how oh, heavens how it made me jump yeah now he knows how uh Castafiore felt yeah or how a mouse feels yes that's true <laughs> or a mole sure that's also good uh so <laughs> <laughs> that's what i've seen more often is that right moles yeah oh, okay we should see your doctor about that uh then <laughs> true enough three days later sorry about that folks this yeah. is not the time or the place for is that the mole getting bigger uh, and it's Mr. Bolt on the phone saying, uh, yes, yes, I know. I mean, yes, it was a wedding. Er, stepsister's cousin. Yes. Look, look, sir, I'll be with you tomorrow morning. Yes, definitely. Yes, yes, I promise. Yes, sir. Goodbye, sir. <laughs> if you don't come by tomorrow, I'll find Fandal blistering barnacles. I don't know what I'll do, but I won't stand for it. Slam. Yeah. So then an outraged Castafiore is coming down the stairs. Why, Dave? Why? Why? Is she, I just like that, uh, Haddock points. Mind the step. Because she's supposed to step on it. I know. Look at that. It's shameful. It's a disgrace. It's monstrous. But they won't get away with it. I can tell you. Look at it. And we see Tempo di Roma, the magazine that she said she would never be in because they insulted her so much. But what's the matter? It's not at all bad, that photograph. Not bad? Not bad? Is that all you can say? It's horrible, I tell you. Of course, Haddock can't quite see that. It says, uh, it was a very good likeness. That's right. Defend the cads, the boors, the bumpkins, mannerless yokels. This is the limit. It's not just a question of the likeness. It's far worse than that. What What do you mean? I mean that photographs are taken here by a reporter from the Tempo, and he got in without a soul knowing. You let people use this house like a hotel. What? That photographer? Yes, that photographer. I like that she's saying that. Yes. When she just busted in and, you know, he is living there. Like yeah, it's a hotel. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, it's too bad. I said to that Tempo riffraff, you've dared to say that I weigh 14 stone? Very well. No more photographs. By the way, when you read this as a kid, you have no idea what stone mm-hmm. means or what anything about it. Just, yeah, she weighs as much as 14 stones. Yeah, you're like, 14 stones? Okay. Like, sure. Very well. <laughs> she is 14 stone and six hands high. <laughs> Very well. No more photographs. No more interviews. You can tell your reporters I never want to see her face, their faces again. 
And now, by some diabolical trick, they've managed to run a whole feature. And all because of you, it's all your fault. Of course, the captain is, <laughs> it's my fault. And what hasn't he done for her? He's changed into a suit. He's not wearing his comfortable anchor jersey. He's having to wear a tie and has his hair combed every day. Mm -hmm. Yuck. Meanwhile, Igor is, uh, has just returned and gets in trouble for not doing his scales. He missed a couple, had a couple of bum notes the day before while, during the television uh, shooting, so he has to do scales every day. Mr. Wagner, do you hear me, Mr. Wagner? But, but silence, you're playing as, as careless, Mr. Wagner. Two wrong notes yesterday. In future, I want to hear you practicing all day long. Is that clear? Of course, he's yes, Signor. Yes, Signora. No, Signora. Yes, Signora. And you, Irma, have you found your little gold scissors yet? Obviously not. What's got into you, girl? Me, madam? Yes, you are. So she obviously she's mad and just storming around and getting yeah, mad at whoever she can. Meanwhile, and this is a great sequence here. Uh, dong. Do yes, dong. Irma opens the door. Uh, Jolly and Wag rolls in. Hello, girly. Morning, Duchess. How goes it? All okay and your hubby to be? He's all right? Fine. Well, here we are. I brought you a dinky little insurance policy. I'm so sorry, Mr. Sag. You're too late. The early bird catches the worm, Mr. Sag. Come off it, you're joking. Of course, the captain's beaming during this exchange. In fact, we just hear it off, off camera, basically, while we look at the, ca the captain beaming. Don't try to argue, Mr. Sag. I shall take care of my own jewels, Mr. Sag. Good morning, Mr. Sag. Slam. And we have Jolly and Wag like at the door. Calls him, she calls him Mr. Sag. Yeah, and the door is slammed, and that's the end for him. He is out of the story. Cut off, just like that. This is the end. That'd be good if it ended right there. <laughs> It doesn't. <laughs> then she meets Calculus, of course, who doesn't understand what's going on and uh, is very complimentary and goes to show her a picture he thinks is very good. She has wandered away. He ends up showing it to Irma and then is very confused by uh, why Irma is looking at it and not the uh, the the uh, singer. What's her name again? Bianca Castafiore. Yeah, good look at the uh, the cover if you forget her name. <laughs> so then the days go by, it says, and we just have the... Wagner playing his piano, saying "Scale, scale, scale, scale." By the way, I like that she goes. She, she goes after uh, Nestor as well. She no. Mm. Oh, that's no, right. Pri take no prisoners. Yes, Nestor gets in trouble for uh, not answering the door, uh, although he was busy doing something else because she had asked him to do something else. <laughs> and then, uh, then we just have this, yeah, scales, scales, and then the haddock. Uh, a few mornings later, obviously saying "Scales, scales," and we just have this wonderful uh, repeating scales being played. And you just see this strip of, uh, of musical notation along the top. And then we hear, Mercy, my jewels. There she goes. She lost her gigaws again. Says, uh, Murder. You hear? Yes, yes. Don't worry. She'll find them in a few minutes. My emerald. Someone missed that step again. Thump, we hear. And uh, Tintin goes to look. And someone did step on the step because it's been, uh, you know, dislodged. Been dislodged. Yeah. But no one's there. It's very confusing. What's happening? What's going on? And they see uh, Sierra Castafiore, and he's going, my emerald, what happened? My emerald, my emerald, from the uh, Maharaja of uh, Gopal. It's been stolen. Sniff. Uh, think carefully. You know, maybe you just mislaid it. No, no, I put on the case with an emerald in it. On my dressing table, I opened it. My, my treasure. Then I went to the bathroom, uh, where I spent a quarter of an hour, perhaps. And, well, <laughs> that's all personal. And when I came back here, <laughs> the case was empty. Sniff, sniff. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's missing. So Tintin goes looking for it. You know, she's saying it's stolen. You must fetch the police immediately. He goes, I'll ring them at once. And uh, he's like, burglar or no burglar, who fell down the stairs? Then he falls down the stairs. <laughs> it's not often that Tintin gets the comedy relief. He does occasionally. He does in this case. So, you know, calls up uh, Thompson Thompson. By the way, that's a great drive drawing of him sitting on the floor there. 
Yes. That's a hard drawing to do that kind of splayed, splay legged one leg pointed towards you as the viewer. So yeah. you get that foreshortening. And, yeah. When you fall down those stairs, tricky. you go splay legged. This yeah. is how it goes. We saw I'm that just saying it's Chicky's pers- perspective there with the leg pointed sure. towards us. And, and I like his dainty little ankles. <laughs> uh, so calls up the Thompsons. Hello. Yep. This is uh, me. Yes, with a P is in Philadelphia. I like it better when he's, you know, it's a letter that you don't actually sound in the, in the yeah, word. Yeah, that's a better joke. Uh, good for a robbery, an emerald, but I look, Senor Castafiore, she's quite sure, isn't she? It really has been stolen this time? Afraid it has. Good. That's lucky for her. I don't mind telling you. If she's got us up to Marlin Spike on another wild goose chase, we shouldn't, we wouldn't have come. <laughs> Definitely not. So a half hour later, going through this, uh, in a nutshell, if the theft was committed by someone in the house, then there are six suspects. Irma, Wagner, Nestor, Calculus, Tintin, and of course yourself, Captain. Which he is outraged about, the Captain. I don't blame him. That's right. Wait, uh, three on our list can be uh, ruled straight out. You, because you couldn't have gone upstairs with your wheelchair. Fair point. Mm-hmm. Tintin, who was uh, with you. And Wagner, he was playing the piano in the Maritime Gallery. If you can call it playing. Says Walter Matho. Right. These are all. <laughs> sure. Eric and I'll have playing. Damn. <laughs> if I had a little more time, I could do a better Walter sure, Matthau. Sure, uh, That so, leaves Irma, Nestor, and the Professor. This is actually good detective work they're doing right now. This all makes good, clean sense here. Yes. All right. So one of those three is a criminal. You must be crazy. So with your permission, we will question each of them in private. Mm. So we go through these three questionings. Yes, and I, I think we see their detective work fall apart here. Yep. Where they decide to go for the Inspector Morse style uh, detecting, which is just to accuse everyone... And see what happens. Yep. If someone tries to kill you, you know that they're the uh, they're the suspect or they're the person, the culprit. That could be true. Yeah. So first thing they start off with is uh, accusing Nestor. Oh, Nestor. Who we've already been told by the captain should not be accused. No. But uh, so they don't quite trust him. Then they talk to Irma. They accuse her right away. And she loses it. <laughs> then we hear a lot of help. Tintin, save me. And then Tintin runs in to find that. They're being cane uh, Irma beaten. has grabbed one of their canes and is it's the cane is beating beating them soundly so hard that their their uh, collars have all popped off. Irma, what's the matter? Stop! She's so upset. They have accused her of stealing when she would never take anything from her mistress. She's so upset, and she herself lost some gold scissors and a and a silver thimble. Is hmm. that true? Did you really accuse her? Or well, it's a sort of a trick that comes off sometimes. <laughs> Just a slight mishap, an occasional occupational hazard. So then they approach. Uh, Calculus. Tintin advises him to, them to use another method. Yes, that's right. I tried some other method. Then they go to Calculus, who, of course, is, uh, doesn't understand them in the least what's happening, and brings out his diviner, brings out his little pendulum, and begins to swing that around and finds that it's pointing towards the gypsy camp. And when, uh, of course, meanwhile, uh, this is nice that, um, although it's sort of nice, sort of not nice, that, that uh, Bianca Castafiore comes in to defend Irma against accusations. But then she says, how will I find another person to replace her and have to pay higher wages to? Which is less nice of her, too. That is true. <laughs> and then uh, she's so mad, she's going to leave the house immediately. Meanwhile, uh, Calculus is, as I say, is telling them that uh, the pendulum is pointing towards the gypsy encampment. And then uh, Thompson says, a camp? What are you talking about? Well, oh, the gypsies. I say, your friend Calculus is, is he a bit, or you know, he keeps talking about a gypsy encampment. Yes, that's right. There's a Romany camp quite, quite close by. Well, that's the end of it. There's no more suspects needed. They're that's the right. obvious. I, I, we're a couple of prejudiced guys. We're going to yeah. go bust that gypsy camp. <laughs> we're cops. We, we know what's what. <laughs> yeah. We go straight for the stereotype. <clears throat> and so uh, yeah, they... We're, we're not getting a lot done, us three comedy relief characters in this one room together. <laughs> that's right. So then they proceed to uh, to head out. 
uh, with Tintin leading them out to the encampment because he doesn't, of course, Tintin thinks that this is ridiculous. But they find that they've left in the night they've gone, and we we see a APB is put out for the uh, for the yeah. gypsies. Yeah. And now that's a problem because see, before that they had a good relationship with them. There was some trust there. Now that trust is gone because to the gypsies, Merlin Spike Hall has sent out this uh, APB to. Yeah, it's sad. Sad. The so trust is broken. Two days later, uh, investigation into uh, Tintin's reading the paper, uh, which he is not writing. Uh, investigation to the theft of the Castafiore Emerald continues, etc., etc. Ah, uh, the gypsies uh, who went camping near Merlin Spike at the time of the robbery have been assisting the police in their inquiries, have they? Uh, headquarters spokesman refused to comment on the affair. There, you know, those poor things, and I'm absolutely certain they're innocent. Me too, says the captain. I'd stake my life on it. Man, now I got to go coach the bad news bears, <laughs> <laughs> or play the penguin. Uh, and so, um, what's interesting? Uh, one thing that's interesting about the way that journalists are shown in this, and I think more about with the Paris Flash and the Il, Il Tempo di Roma, is uh, the contrast between that idea of a reporter that we originally would have seen with Tintin in the early days, yeah. and the sort of adventure, you know, half adventure, half newsmaker you know they're yeah. in, they're intimately involved with in the news now it's just mere scuttlebutt and gossip reported as news that is interesting know? that you have all these reporters come in and none of them goes oh hello tintin most famous reporter in the world nice to see you anyway we're reporters as well yeah. off we go with our business yeah yeah well it's old head they know he's retired and he's out of the club yeah and of course no one in this story where it's like she's going to marry this old sea dog mm-hmm. who also walked on the moon just yeah. throwing that out there so now we have a wonderfully inspired sequence, I think, where Calculus comes in and has made a sensational discovery. Then I will let you take Sensational. This one. I've just invented a television set, which the <laughs> captain says, ironically, you old pioneer. <laughs> Color television, of course. The other day, looking at all these sets, I thought to myself, what a pity the pictures are only in black and white. And the captain here, in the English version, the captain says, you know, somebody is already, in the, in the uh, French version, he says... You know, in America, they, and he gets interrupted, because in America, they had color television in the early 50s. Yeah. So this is not really that sensational a discovery. In Europe, it is. In Europe, they still had black and white. So, uh, But you still can't invent something that already exists somewhere else. And the fact that, but what he's done is taken a thing that can take the, the, original, the original black and white broadcast and, and transform it into color. So the idea is that it's acting as, so if you still have an old black and white television, you can put this in front of it, and yep. then you can have color. Well, they uh, did have those weird screens that you could My put. grandma had one of those. That's right. It did not work. Not at all. It was merely a prism. Yes. It was just a prism that... Uh, gave the illusion of gave color. Gave the illusion of color, but it was basically just made it a blurry, weird thing. That's right. Yeah. How my... about the picture gets worse? How do you like that? <laughs> I, like those, I like those potatoes. Yeah. Now you can see it like a dog would uh, see color. So, uh, of course, Calculus cannot understand what uh, Haddock is saying. He says, not at all. It's just a question of know-how. Now, listen carefully. The people you see on the little screen are in black and white, aren't they? But in the studio, what about that? The studio, <laughs> or I don't need to tell you, in the studio, the subjects are all in color. Well, the purpose of my apparatus is to restore those colors. How? How? Well, roughly speaking, by color filters inserted between the ordinary television set and a special screen. I call it Super Calcia Color. <laughs> but that's brilliant, says Tintin. You think so? In all modesty, I must say my own comment would be brilliant. But you shall be the judge. Oh, sorry, you shall judge my invention for yourself. Tonight, they have the famous program Scanorama. Will you join me? Once again, a parody of the British uh, news program Panorama. Very good. Which we often saw parodied on uh, Monty Python. Ah. Now, my friends, hold your breath. This is an historic moment, he says very Britishly. And then we proceed to get a news program uh, garbled in the most amusing way by... This is a great series of colors... Uh, Weavy lines, blurred images, yeah. Pixelated. And 
yeah, just all kinds of. Uh, then the, the sound doesn't work, so you just get a dig a dog, deck a dig a dog, dog a dog, dog a dog a dog, dig dog dig dog. That's better, isn't it? It's the sound now. All right, the sound. Thundering typhoons adjust the sound. Then the, one of the tubes blows. Takes him 10 minutes to fix it, so we miss out a whole section that was going to be about the secret life of the abominable snowman. We missed that <laughs> section. And there, that's done it. So then we get a summary of the facts of uh, Bianca Castafori's uh, the, the uh, diamond heist, or the emerald heist, and uh, which is, a, once again, wavy lines and repeating lines, her face squished, a bunch of weird dots floating in front of an upside down, once again, straight on view of uh, Marlon Spike. Then the Thompson and Thompson, the, their, their uh, head squished and double imaged. And this goes on and on with a with them being superimposed over a boat at sea, and everyone pixelated over a rainbow pattern. <laughs> over a rainbow pattern, yes, that's right. And we get a shot of everyone watching, and they're all crying. <laughs> Tears <laughs> are streaming down their face from their aching eyes. And we get this weird shot of their their heads squished together, and you can imagine that it's flat, they're kind of rolling in front of them very quickly as they're looking. And then another shot of their heads in various uh, shots of of you know, deformity of the being mutated by this weird screen. And this goes on and on until finally we cut to a weird subjective view of everyone as if you were looking at them from the same view. They see each other after looking at the screen for so long, because you just get them all drawn with this weird, weird wavy line. Yeah. I like that uh, quite a bit. And Haddock says, my balls are doing the shimmy. You know, I'm seeing six of everything says Nestor. It's great. The next morning, poor gypsies. And just like the fact that Tintin's just laying in a field with a flower, just kind of thinking. Unless he's thinking this will cover me. I don't think that's what you think. <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you go by this tree, uh, Tintin, for coverage? Nope, this flower will do. And you get a good sense of how close they are to the village, actually, because you, you can do. see the chillage, the chillage. You can see the church steeple in the background. It seems like a nice time of the year, by the way, to lie in the grass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with a flower and yeah. just nice some little daisies growing up. It's this poor and gypsies. Again, nobody can see him as they, as like uh, Wagner uh, drives by on a bike. They don't see this redheaded kid lying in green grass, but still, okay. So he sees, oh, Mr. Wagner. Going, but, yeah. but please, you were saying something else. Oh, just, just the fact that he's thinking about, uh, he's convinced the gypsies are innocent. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's thinking no one can climb over that wall. Like not, not even a trained monkey, which is the theory that they have about the gypsies now is that, uh, Somewhere the gypsies are hiding it, but somewhere they had a monkey that was trained to climb up right. and steal this emerald. Normally when your theory involves a monkey, you should probably find another theory. Yeah, The monkey much. was the only way this could have happened. That's it. Because, you know, a monkey, the actual theory would be if... Now, here's the thing. If what happened was something climbed up a very light ladder and got into your room yeah. and then threw, threw a bunch of poo around, <laughs> your monkey theory is fine. Right. But otherwise, it falls apart. Because how would it know an emerald from sure. anything else? Right? How would you? Yeah. So then... Uh, Tintin proceeds to walk. He sees he sees Igor right by, and he's like, "Oh, this is my chance to go and investigate Igor." So he heads back to the house once again. A side view of uh, we have we have two views of Marlon Spike. One is from the very front, mm-hmm. and the other is from the very side. Right, kind of a three quarter view. Uh, he comes up to the window, and he hears scales being played. This is very mysterious. Then he finds a ladder in the flower bed. Even more mysterious. He puts up to the window and uh, pushes open the windows and looks inside, and sees that Igor has... Uh, First of I, all, you see the piano playing itself, it looks like. Sort of. And then you see that Is there a, a ghost? Well, what else would it be? Or an owl? But no, it's a tape recorder playing... Or a monkey, for that matter, playing the scales. <laughs> That'd be great it's, if it was a monkey playing scales. It's Igor who uses the monkey. <laughs> Not for stealing emeralds, but for playing scales. Uh, but no, instead it is a... Uh, it'd be good if it's a chimpanzee smoking a cigar playing scales. But no, instead it's great snakes. It is a tape recorder playing the scales behind the piano. And so what uh, Tintin decides to do is hide there. So he hides the ladder again and tells Snowy to hide himself. 
and closes the window and then waits for Igor to return, which doesn't take very long. It's basically one panel. Yep. Igor says, no one about, I'll risk it. So he sneaks back into the room, draws the ladder up inside, and uh, proceeds to put his hat on the bench, which is bad luck, by the way, and then walks <laughs> over to... That is uh, true. But well, isn't it just on the bed? Is it actually bad luck to put uh, I your think hat it's on a, a chair? Yeah, I think it's bad luck to put your hat on. You got to just hang it. You got to hang your hat. All yes. right. Well, wherever you hang your hats, you're home. Mm-hmm. Continue. A hat on a bed is particularly unlucky, but yeah, yeah. it's just uh, bad luck to put your hat down like that. Because you'll sit on it, which is why... Oh, that's true. That's why it's bad luck. Okay. Yeah. It's the same way if you walk... If it's bad luck to walk under a ladder because something could fall on you. This sensible superstition sometimes. Uh, I like him turning with the ladder and startled. Yes. Seeing a Tintin. Yeah, yeah. And then, because uh, Tintin says, can I give you a hand, Mr. Wagner? No, thanks. I can manage. Huh? <laughs> what? You came or not? Busted. <laughs> so they start to speak. And, uh, of course, Wag- Wagner first begins to lie a little bit. This says, you know, I, uh, I worked at a plant so I could get some fresh air from time to time. She keeps me at the piano all day long, you know. And yeah. fresh air, village air, I believe, Mr. Wagner. Oh, so you know. Well, then I better tell you everything. Suddenly, disaster. Bianca Castafiore r- walks into the room. Uh-oh. Says, Irma, have you seen Irma? No, uh, Irma, no, senora. Thank you. But, well, Mr. Wagner, what about your scales? Meanwhile, we should point out that the scales are still playing. <laughs> yes. So she's standing there looking at Wagner, talking to Tintin, and the scales are playing. And uh, she says, well, Mr. Wagner, what about your scales? My s- s- scales, s- s- senora? Tintin says, but he's playing them, senora, as you can hear. Of course, so he is. I wasn't thinking. Forgive me. Silly me. So absent-minded she, <laughs> as she walks out the door. It's a good little sequence there. He reveals, Wagner reveals that he's been going into town to make bets on the races. That's why he was standing at the phone, uh, or talking the phone and placing those, saying those obscure names. They were horses. They were horses. Semiramis, the horse, not the pharaoh. No, he's not placing bets on what pharaoh's going to die That's next. right. The pharaoh pool. Very popular. Still in Europe to this Put day. Put it all on Ramses. <laughs> yes. All right. You go on. Okay. Uh, so he tells him, yeah, he's a gambler. Uh, he goes to the village, and it's like, oh, okay, is that so, says Tintin. Still, you weren't in the village when the emerald was stolen, and uh, when some unknown person fell down the stairs. It was you, wasn't it? Yes, it was I. I'd been up to the attic. Ah, there we go. And on my way down, I heard uh, Castafiore cry out. I hurried to get back to the piano and missed a step. Why were you in the attic? Well, on a number of evenings, I thought I heard someone walking about there, like the senora I did on the night we arrived. I decided to get to the bottom of it. Oh, why did you just simply ask us? Because you didn't care. Yeah. That's why. Because yeah. you didn't care. When you it was knew. a lady talking about it. Yeah, that's right. I didn't want to make a fool of myself. Uh, if it was a false alarm. Anyway, I didn't find anything. So, all right. One last point, Mr. Wagner. Uh, the day after you came, I found your footprints under the window. And I like snowy outside. Golly, some people do love to talk. <laughs> yes, yes. That's what you do to break up your exposition. Uh, yeah, it's quite possible, he says. After that incident that night, I went round there to make sure no one would have climbed the ivy. All right, that's all the explanation I need. I don't think Wagner uh, stole the emerald. He seemed to be telling the truth. But now I've got to find the real culprit. To the attic! Uh, so uh, next thing we see is Tintin and Snowy hiding in a trunk together in the attic, seeing their little A really well-drawn eyes. attic as well. Yeah, it's And a once again, attic. great, great uh, coloring as well. Giving you can that just tell how that attic smells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just all the old furniture. And I love how the lamp is kind of, the lamp shade is, is, is so low because the light bulb isn't there. So it's yes. just kind of resting. It's very well, very, very authentically drawn. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, and so Snowy's saying, like, I see, uh, I say, Tintin, how long must we stay here? Shh, Snowy, because he doesn't understand what Snowy says. You know, listen, uh, it's only a rat or a mouse. Shall I catch it? The only thing that would have made the attic better is if the skeleton of the bird brother was there. <laughs> yes. 
sitting in a chair. <laughs> and they don't care. They don't care. They, just, they don't care. That's not what they're here for. That's right. And then we see something walking. What is it? An owl. Yes. And yes. Uh, and off he walk, off he goes. So this is what's been making the noise. An owl walking around. Mm-hmm. You know, all right, Stinton, we can go down now, Snowy. There's nothing more here, just another false trail. And then we see the captain's at the bottom of the stairs, and he is standing. Yes. Oh, he's so happy. And, and Natalie dressed in a uh, double-breasted suit. Yeah, you have no idea how good it feels to be standing on my own two feet again. Uh, but he's leaning against his wheelchair, and in doing so, he falls down. He falls down, and, uh, the sending cat, the wheelchair spinning away. The cat uh, runs out of the way. Uh, the wheelchair is heading for the door where Calculus is standing. It hits Calculus. Calculus. Yeah, he's wished saying goodbye to the doctor. Yep, Calculus goes down the stairs in the wheelchair. Some good uh, business here. Uh, hits the doctor. Uh, knocks the doctor through his car. <laughs> sends him scattering. And uh, they're all very confused about what went on. Yeah, it's great. So, a couple things here. One is, this maybe finally explains why the wheels are the way they are in the wheelchair. Because it, it wouldn't work the other way. Ah, if it was having a wheelchair rolling on the steps, you'd have to either go have it going backwards. Right, yeah. yeah. So it makes sense in that way. It didn't occur to me until this now when I was looking at it. And the other thing is, I love that car, which is a Citroën Ami 6 or Ami 6. Oh, very nice. I just like, I just love how the back of it is. So it's like has that slanted window. So I don't know if that's to prevent rain from falling onto the, the back window. No, I just know you can actually like uh, go through it. Uh, be tossed yeah, through it, yeah. and you're still fine. No, well, very safe car. Sure. So uh, well, that's the art of slapstick. If you actually have people injured in slapstick, it's not that comedic. That's by the why way. when uh, Captain got bit on the hand, it was bleeding. Yeah. it was not for laughs. Or it wasn't for laughs. That's right. So, uh, so Castiviori uh, is walking down the stairs. Says, "My dear Captain uh, Padlock, uh, you're up. I'm so glad. It, it grieves me to uh, cloud your happiness, but I have sad news for you. I must leave tomorrow." I'm already laughing at what's coming up. Oh, he's doing a little happy dance. He's strutting around going, she's going away, hip, hip, hooray. Today's my lucky day. And then Ugu sees her. In the mirror. uh, uh, Today's my lucky day. My wheelchair's going away. Oh, the big baby. (laughs) And then, of course, he's dancing. He dances up to where the the doctor and calculus are walking in, looking rather uh, worse for wear. Yeah. Come along in. Our drink will put you right, he says. And then, of course... Haddock is caught in mid uh, happy prance. prance. Yes, mid prance. Good way to describe it. <laughs> so the moment of departure comes, as the uh, caption box says. Uh, they're saying goodbye. Uh, she's saying goodbye to the cat. Uh, goodbye, dear Captain Hatbox. Uh, thank you again for your charming hospitality. It grieves me to leave you, but I give you my promise. I will be back. Eh, I'm sure you will. <laughs> uh, as for my emerald, the moment you have any news, yep, I'll let you know. Never fear. And then, uh, and then Calculus presents her with the roses that uh, he's uh, created, called the Bianca, and she loves them. What a sweet yes. idea! They're exquisite. She exquisite in that perfume. Smell them, Captain Stockpot. No, 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 thank you. Yes, he's and, once bitten, twice shy. And then she gives uh, Calculus a kiss. Mm-hmm. A nice kiss. A kiss a little smack there. Yes. And, uh, he's blushes. Ooh, he's blushes. He pulls the old collar. And pulls like, the celluloid ooh, collar. Well, I... Mm, yeah. oh, nice, uh, nice stuff there. Yeah. So uh, she's leaving in the car. At Riverdershi, take care of Viago. You know, and off they go. Uh, Calculus, come back soon. And then we hear, Mercy, my jewels! From inside the car. Yes, Nestor comes running out, holding her case. Goes running down, passes it to her in the taxi. And then Haddock enters the house so happy. No more scales. No more mercy, my jewels. Mercy, my jewels! The parrot cries. So it's you, Clever Dick. If you value your feathers, I advise you to put on another record. To which the parrot says, Billions of blistering barnacles. Shut up when I'm talking. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's good, yeah. Let's go to three days later. Mr. Cuts. 
Yes, yes, I know. Why? It isn't my fault. Why? That's right, not Mr. Cuts, Mr. Mr. Bolt. Mr. Bolt is not that's your, your fault either, yes. No, it was the uh, band annual outing. I had a touch of the flu and went tomorrow. Afraid that's impossible. Maybe the beginning of next week. Bah! I'm hanging up the phone. Can't believe it. <laughs> Can't understand these folks. Always in a hurry. Give themselves high blood pressure. That's what they'll do. Just what I say, Arthur, says the wife. She is just enabling that guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So then Tyndon says to uh, Haddock as he comes walking into to their one of the rooms, says, have you seen this in the Daily Reporter? It's about old Castor Oily. Yes, I read it. And this story is Nightingale with a Broken Heart. Milan, Tuesday. Triumph, superlative, sublime, unforgettable, proclaims the Italian press. <laughs> At La Scala last night, the divine Castafiore bid farewell to Europe. An ecstatic audience acclaimed her overwhelming performance in Rossini's La Gaza Ladra. Time and again, a delirious house recalled their idol. Fifteen curtains, bravo, bravissimo. Jeez. But can the plaudits of admirers mend a broken heart? Nope. For the nightingale still mourns the loss of her most precious jewel, and have we heard the last of the Castifiore? Have we heard of the, the last of the Castifiore emerald? Not so. Police investigations continue in the Martin Spike, sorry, Marlin Spike area. Was a monkey used to spirit away the jewel? <laughs> Magnificent guest of the Maharaja of Gopal? No comment, say detectives. But suspicion weighs heavily upon the local gypsies, and still no sign of the emerald. So yes, so we get the last little bit, and this kind of gives you a good summary because then suddenly we get. Uh, Tintin angry that they're still with this ridiculous monkey theory, which, as we said, is ridiculous yeah, in the face of it. Whoever heard of an animal uh, is so well trained that it goes straight for a particular object. Yes. Talking about animals, do you know what that builder said? But but great snakes, why not? Why not what? Where are you going? What in the world? Tintin runs outside says, I'll be back in a few minutes. He thinks some great snakes took it. Yeah, that's right. Those animals, they're, they're well trained. You can train snakes. Yeah. According to the road warrior. He goes running away and so then uh, Haddock says, I wonder what happened to him. Meanwhile, uh, Calculus is going on a trip to uh, Milan. So he asks if there's a message for Castafiore. He says, a message? Me for Castafiore? No, a message. I forgot to tell you. I'm leaving today for Milan. I'm going to demonstrate my super calci color to the International Television Congress. Naturally, I shall call upon our charming friend. Well, tell her whatever you like. But for pity's sake, don't invite her back to Marlinspike. That's very kind. I'll tell her. She'll certainly be touched by your invitation. No, <laughs> that's the opposite oh. thing I wanted. Oh, no. And then we get a Tintin comes back in and says, "Is there a woodman? Is there a woodman? It should be woodsman anywhere near." And he says, "A woodsman? A woodman? That's not a word, by the way, everybody. A woodsman? Yes, Charlie Sawyer, which also is kind of on the nose. <laughs> yep. In the French version, it's uh, I think it's Emile Vanet or something yeah. like that, or Vano, which is like a Charlie Sawyer. He works with Frank Axman. A, a Vano is a type of bird, which is silly, but it's better than you know." Better than uh, like a lapwing, it means Fano. But why would you call it's the kind, why would you call someone Sawyer when they're a woodsman? Come you know on, what? Everybody. We're getting near the end of the story. Everyone's right. tired. Everyone's tired. This is all we can think <laughs> they of. They have to think of about twenty funny names <laughs> for Haddock. You know. <laughs> well, they've already done that. The work's already in. You don't need to do anymore. It's only a couple names you're adding to the uh, to the. So you uh, say. So you say. Bolt and and uh, Sawyer. Anyway. So, so ring up the Thompsons. Tell them to come here as soon as possible about the emerald. About the emerald. What? Later, you remember to, you remember and remember to telephone, won't you? But Tintin, look here. So he, of course, telephones Charlie Sawyer. Uh, the the Thompsons come in, but only as a special special flavor, as they say, or favor, or savor, because uh, as far as they're concerned, uh, it's the gypsies, and that's all. They're they're blinkered they're view gypsies, of the world. Tramps and thieves. Yes, those are always suspicious, and that song is terrible. So that's one reason <laughs> to blame them. And so then, uh, the uh, to be precise, 
because it's clear it's clear as day to us, right, Thompson? Yes, be as as dear as clay. He says, Tintin, Tintin arrives. Thank goodness to end this uh, funny wordplay. That's right. And he says, if you'll come with me, gentlemen, I will do precisely that. There are no you? Norm Crosbys. No. Yes. You've discovered where the gypsies have hidden the emerald. The gypsies haven't hidden anything, says. Uh, See, even Haddock starts to fall into this. He asks them. It's not the Thompsons asking this question. Mm-hmm. Look up there. That's where you'll find the key to the whole mystery. So they look up and they're like, up there in that poplar? Yes, all I can see is a nest. Yes, but it's a magpie's nest, Captain. What, you mean to say that a magpie stole the emerald? Yes, I'd bet my life on it. And he will. And he will, because this is crazy crime he does. So yeah, somebody got a shot of him from the bottom of the tree, and it's quite a tall tree. It's amazingly high. He begins to climb up. He gets into the branches. The magpie says, chack, chack. And then uh, Captain says, Tintin, please watch your step. Don't worry, I'm crack! Exclamation mark. So that's a good, that's another another uh, you know cliffhanger for the week mm-hmm. there. So then we find out, look out for the dead branch. And that both the Thompsons run into separate trees and the branch falls harm- harmlessly to the ground. No damage done. What about you? Have you found anything? Yes, and how? I've got Irma's thimble. And the emerald. Here's the emerald. Some bits of glass and a marble and a monocle. That's a lot. I'm coming down. Oh, the captain <laughs> should ask for his monocle. Check, check, says the, the magpie and thinks to itself, thief. <laughs> One, I do like the look of that magpie. Yeah. Wonderful, Tintin. You're a genius. But what on earth suddenly made you think of the magpie? Do you remember the name of the opera they mentioned in the paper, says Tintin? I don't know. Pizza or ragazza or something? La Gaza Ladra. In other words, the thieving magpie. Then the light dawned. I thought to myself, there's a Gaza Ladra somewhere around, but where? What about the spot where Miorca found the scissors? They must have fallen from the robber's hiding place. So I ran to look, and there was the nest. Well, that clears the gypsies. The Thompsons look at each other in disgust, with their, both their eyes blacked. Just our luck. The one time we managed to catch the culprits, they turned out to be innocent. It's really too bad of them. You'd think they'd done it on purpose. So disappointing. Yep. You carry on. Yeah. Anyway, thanks to us, uh, the emerald has turned up, and all we have to do is return it to Signora Castafiore. You know, and say, oh, you know, uh, Calculus is leaving for Milan. You could just give him the jewel. Definitely not. We and we alone must restore the uh, emerald. We are in beauty downed. As you like. Here it is. Uh, they then lose it immediately. And everyone has to go look for it again. Luckily, Snowy finds it. Here's your brandy ball. <laughs> and it's like, there you go, says Tintin. This time, hang on to it. Ah, trust me. A few minutes later, uh, Calculus is going off. Uh, is there any message for Signora Castafiore? Yes, indeed. Wonderful news. You can tell her her emerald has been found by Tintin. Oh, no, I'm flying. It's much quicker. Why are you even trying? <laughs> Here. Anyway. I said the Castafiore Emerald has been found. The Emerald. The Emerald. Certainly not. I never do. I make it a point to honor and declare everything at the cu- at customs. Goodbye. So off he goes. <laughs> and so uh, Tintin says, it's all right, Captain. Calm down. All we have to do is send a telegram to Signora Castafiore. You know, I won't forget to give her your invitation, says uh, says Calculus as he drives off. So there <laughs> you go. To further add to the maddening... Yeah. Yes, and the then, captain bites his, his fingers in frustration. And rage. Uh, so one of the Thompsons says, Well, we're off now, taking the mule to Japan, or making the gruel, faking the jewel. Anyway, we've got mental problems. <laughs> which, <laughs> so we should go have a lie down. A, anyway, goodbye. All that, all that thinking is not good for them. And thanks for trying to help with the case. Yeah. And, uh, as true. they drive off, have you got the emerald? No, you've got it. Excuse me, I gave it to you. You certainly did not. The car's already fixed as well. There's Citroën. Yeah, they probably have a bunch of those. <laughs> That's true. Probably well insured because they were they were uh, the official spokesman for Citroën. 
do CV. So they probably get one were a week. They? Yeah, they were. They did the advertising for it. Oh, okay. That's an interesting thing. Like you see their car crash over and over again. Mm-hmm. That's not something a lot of car companies want. <laughs> uh, so the next morning, uh, Captain's going, what a glorious walk. Not a cloud in the sky. Perfect peace. Wonderful. Tintin's at the door. Oh, are you there? Look, come here. Oh, no. Don't tell me she's back. She's not back. But Mr. Bolt has mended the step. Amazing. A miracle has happened. Yeah, he's put a board across it to give the mortar time to set. Uh, no, he didn't. Uh, but it's quite obvious, says uh, Tintin. Uh, no, maybe, but I'm just mentioning it for your own good. Uh, you can't be too careful, for heaven's sake. Remember, don't put your foot on that step. Right, Captain. Indeed, sir, says Nestor. For the next uh, few days, you must step over. Like that. He's doing it. Understand? <laughs> Yes, Captain. Very good, sir. You see, it's perfectly easy. Uh, you have to think what you're doing. All of a sudden, dong! Hello, who's that? Uh, and at the door, it is uh, Mr. Bolt. And uh, the captain walks down the stairs. Ah, oh, Mr. Bolt, it was nice of you to come. <laughs> yep. Slips on the, slips on the step. and uh, Destroys the marble piece. Yeah. Bolt says... Broken three pieces. Real shame. I just popped back to say, wait a day or two before using that step. Too bad. It was a lovely bit of marble, that was. And we have three birds. Well, yeah, the going. three birds that all have a central part in the story. And uh, the magpie, chuck, chuck. And the parrot, blistering barnacles. That's the end. <laughs> Very nice. And I just want to say... Please. If I just, turn to the front, just turn to the first page of the story again. I will. And you'll see the very first clue of the story in the tree above the captain and Tintin walking in the, in the forest is a magpie. Uh, what are you talking Oh, very nice. If you look at them walking in the forest, there's You're absolutely right. there's your culprit. I thought you were talking about the title. Oh page. no, sorry, yeah, no, the first page of the story. It's actually interesting uh, if you look at the title page. Sorry to go back to that. Yeah, that's a very uh, that's a very Charles Schultz tree. Yeah, it's very roughly drawn. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very cartoony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Whereas the, you know the rest of the trees are drawn normally. Um, this one again, I'm going to say I would like to see this uh, done as a play. You could do if you if you're going to do a live action Tintin, you could definitely pull this off. It's got like there's nothing that you couldn't yeah. do on a stage. Yeah, and it's got enough physical business, and it's a mystery. It might be it might be fun. So someone out there get the rights and do that, and I'll come see your play. What do you think of it as a story overall? As a... no, I like it. It's a nice break from uh, from everything else that was going on. Like you were saying, the last one was a deeply personal story, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. maybe a little too melodramatic for me. Too much of Tintin crying, yeah. and Tintin like uh, just his heart is broken that his friend that we've seen a long long time ago yeah. been missing. Yeah. So we don't have that connection that you know him the character does. Uh, this one just seems like. It's a palate cleanser. Yeah. You know, we're getting to know the characters. We're having fun with them. We're uh, goofing around the, the mansion. Everything's nice and light. This would not be the story that you would give someone as their first Tintin book. No, you're probably right. Even though it's probably my favorite story. Right, because you're a Tintin fan. Because I'm a Tintin fan. Right, it's it's a Tintin story for Tintin fans. Yeah, you're right. Much like in a sitcom, you would not show them the one episode where they get stuck in the root cellar, the two main characters, and talk about their past. Yeah. This is is an atypical story, uh, but no, I I enjoyed it because I've read a bunch of Tintin in a row. Yeah. So this is, uh, it's it's actually kind of a, a delightful story. Yeah, and it's sort of an opening up of Tintin's universe in a way too, like, you know, this... I don't know. It's interesting. And I think it helps having a woman in the story, which we haven't had for any of these stories mm-hmm. so far. Mm-hmm. You know, even if she's, you know, a character that comes in and is just smashing things around and throwing her weight around, you know, it's it's great. I like that there's all these characters that are just living in their own heads. Yeah. And it makes for really good, uh, you know, we said farce over and over again, but like it makes for really good comedy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and again, I think like uh, Hershey has pulled off something pretty amazing here and he's done a story where there's no stakes. 
And it's yeah. been interesting through the whole time. That's right. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, that's something that's, you know, maybe that's where a play would not work. Well, maybe a play would work because a play has a kind of similar dynamic to a comic strip in the, in the sense that you're very wrapped up in, you know, it, because the way a comic works, because it's a dynamic, uh, no matter what you do, no matter what you show, you have to show it in a sort of dynamic way. You know, it, it would work the way a play would work, but it would probably wouldn't work in a, in a movie setting where it might be a bit too dry for that or you just want to rush it through really fast, right. you know. Well, you were also saying how um, Thompson and Thompson kind of have been being weeded out of the stories mm-hmm. in the last ones. And it's nice to have this story where they fit in perfectly. You need to bring them in. Yeah. And so the confusion that they bring works, yeah. you know, because it's a confusing story. And now mm-hmm. everyone's in their own head and uh, where they're interviewing all the suspects. That's great. It's a great uh, character piece, and they're yeah. great guys to bounce that kind of thing off of. They're not, I think, as good when you've taken them to the moon, and now they're endangering everybody, and you're like, these guys shouldn't be here. Yeah, yeah. But in this case, yeah. of course they should. They're the perfect characters for this. Mm-hmm. This, I don't know uh, if they appear in the next two stories or not, but if not, this was a nice kind of uh, so long to them, because yeah. this was uh, some really good shine time for them, some really good uh, physical shtick. They're doing all the Thompson business that you want, and it all works. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, uh, like as you say, it is a real feat to put together what's basically half of a farce in the sense that it doesn't, it doesn't take you to the next stage of, of, of the farce. So you don't, you don't end up with the running around and, you know, people trying to hide from each other and stuff like that. It never gets to that point in the story, you know, yeah. so it's interesting. And then the, the payoff of it, and it does have a payoff, you know, the emerald is stolen and the emerald's found, but, you know, it's found in a way that's, that's clever but it has really nothing to do with the rest of the story in, in the sense that, you know, the, the villain is not even shown. So I don't want to... Again, besides at the very beginning of the story. I feel it's very arrogant of me to write a different ending for this, but it seems like there's one thread that's not wrapped up or, or, or clipped or whatever you I do know. with the thread. I know. Where is the bird brother? <laughs> yeah, that's that. You find out he's actually in the magpie's nest. There he is. <laughs> and him as well. You found Mr. Bird. It's, it's everything you've lost in all the other stories. Yeah. No, you've had the gypsies who have been falsely accused of this yeah. crime. And yeah. especially the little girl, right? Mm-hmm. And so what you kind of want at that point is you want, is it Mark, Mike? What is his name? Mike. Mike. Yeah. You want Mike to go, you were right. You found this out. And, you know, I was wrong about you. And you want the little girl maybe to make up with the captain. You want a little bit of that. And yeah. you could do that by having them invited back. You know, the captains, everyone's gone. Things are back to normal. But now you've got the gypsies back again in his front lawn, you know, because they were sent off for, for sure. wrong reasons. Now you can play that for comedic purposes. It also works as kind of a heartfelt thing. And you've, you know, uh, they who have gotten the, the, the wrong end of the stick through this whole story yeah. actually get a little bit of payoff there yeah. too, which would have been nice. Uh, but as it is, you're like, oh, they'll be said sorry to, you know, off, even, off camera, off camera yeah. even though they've been accused of horrible things. Yeah. and all But really, stuff, so. Tintin and the captain don't have to apologize. They did not accuse them of anything. No, but you want to see them get... A little something, you know, They, you want to see the one who's been falsely accused, you know, uh, kind of get something in the end for that. Uh, I actually agree, agrees with you in a way. He felt that they disappeared too much from the story. Then it was more of a time thing than, you know. And it also would have been nice, you know, again, it's not that kind of story. Uh, the typical Hergé story would be then you find out about gypsy culture and you find out, well, why do you do this and why do you do that and why people suspect yeah. this? But it's not that's not the it's story. Not, that's not what the story should it's have. It's not in the it, story, yeah. but when you when you set up things about like those gypsies are thieves. Yeah, I don't trust mm-hmm. them. They're all dirty and thievy and you know, yeah. then you do have to do a little bit of pay. You, I mean, Tintin just goes, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. But you it would be nice to then have a little something 
uh, about why that isn't right. Yeah. Why? No, I think you're making them too major a character for what Air, what Air wanted them. I mean, they're just another red herring. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to spend too much time on a red herring. Well, the problem you know? with that is then then you don't do the thing where you have Mike uh, going, uh, you know, they they don't trust us and uh, mm-hmm. this is bad. Then you're making them too much characters. Yeah. So you can do that. If you yeah. want to keep them light and keep them distance and just keep them as a red herring, then you just show the, the girl, show her showing the scissors, show that kind of thing, but don't have him have personal hurt feelings over how society judges them. Because if you're going to do that, we need to then have some acceptance at the end to balance out what you've just laid down. Yeah. I don't think that, that got played. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it's kind of... I don't know. And I want to see... I just don't know why the captain and and, uh, and Tindon have to apologize. They don't so. have to apologize. It's not them apologizing. But it would be nice if they, you know, since the captain is like, I don't, you know, his thing is I want a peace and quiet. Where are you going to get yeah. a noise at the end to balance this all out? Yeah. They are the obvious so choice. So maybe, maybe what they could have had would be just a shot of the gypsy encampment back in the field again. And that's where yeah. you don't need to actually even see them. You almost want you don't need to go there. You, you don't need have to have the help. last scene from an Asterix story where they're all just like, no, having, I don't like that. Why don't you like, I that? like how it ends. I think it, it ends because you need to have the Mr. Bolt thing resolved as well. You can't just have that hang in the no, air. But the Mr. Bolt thing is a gag. Yeah, and the book and, and a gag is fine, and you can go with like yeah, but Erzy is going to always end with a gag. He's no, not going to end with heartfelt. He's no, going to end with a bit. Ba- but no, what he ends with is he, you can end with heartfelt and a gag at the same time. You can double down and 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 do it with those characters, and I think yeah, that's the one thing that I think is a bit of a flaw in this is those guys go yeah. and they sh- they should have come. Don't back. think he wanted to imitate Asterix at that time. <laughs> but the Asterix thing is El was ending with a gag. Like there's no Asterix story that ends without some sort of joke in the final panel. But it's Well, also- no, it's always the same joke. It's them having a feast and Cacophonics is tied up in a tree. Yeah. That's the that's the gag. But there's it is never a, a different gag. But it is a gag. The, yeah, but it's the same gag over and over but again. It's a, but it's Let's a, give Erge the props for at least ending with a different gag every story. Okay, that's fine. Let's give it that. But yeah, I, no, I don't think you need to have them come in in that in that much of a degree. I agree that there should be some kind of resolution. And I think what would have been better is if he had like a, a frame of, of once again, of, of Tintin walking back from the encampment and saying, you know, that's taken care of or, you know, they're settled there or whatever. Right. So we know that there's been a resolution in that in that way. And and then that would have been a perfectly good ending to that to that. And what if they find Mr. Bird and he tries to <laughs> rob them and then they put a gypsy curse on him yeah. and he just gets thinner. That's right. How about that? Sure. Pretty that, good. Then he'd be Mr. Crane. <laughs> and let's not uh let's not ignore the fact that these gypsies do use real magic. Because that old woman was absolutely Pretty accurate. absolutely right. Yeah. She's got superpowers. So <laughs> Erge, you know, Erge don't had, mess with yeah. them. Erge had no issues with putting that kind of, of, I would almost call it tangential magic in his stories. Oh, yeah. You know, it hardly ever impacts really deeply in the story, except maybe in Seven Crystal Balls. But most of the stories have a certain magical element yeah. that kind of is on the outskirts of there it. There was a floating monk in the last story. Yeah. Stuff stuff happens in yeah. this world. You can make a list of like all the things that are true in the Tintin world. Yeah. And just like whatever those Tibetan monks believed, they're right. Yeah. You know, whatever, you know, uh, the whatever the gypsies believe, they're absolutely correct. That yeah. does work. By the way, magic also is real. Mm-hmm. And if you're bad, uh, little demons will take you to hell as well. That also occurs. So <laughs> this is the world we live in with Tintin. All yeah. these things exist. Yeah. That's and also, there's abominable snowmen and Be- Loch Ness monsters. But the reason, <laughs> the reason that uh, the the reason that the the guys that demons take them to hell is because Erzja thought that was funny. It is funny, you know. So it's no, it's not in there. Well, it's the reason the guy's floating too. Sure. It's just because it's funny. Yeah. everything's funny. That's right. Like he's all about the gag, and yeah. so if you forget that when you're thinking about Erzja, that for for him everything 
fell to the gag in terms of like importance in the story. The gag was paramount, you right. know. So he would almost sacrifice sense in the story to have a funny joke, sure, you know. And that was just him. And it, you know, it, it bugged Jacques Martin, found that irritating because it just didn't play in his way of how a joke should work. To him, a joke should be subservient to the story. But Hergé was the opposite. To him, the story was subservient yeah. to the gag. It's an interesting know? thing. The amount of things that happen in this story that really ground them as characters and make you feel more real mm-hmm. than, you know, if you're starting a Laurel and Hardy, you know, uh, yeah. you know, f- short film. Like, I think having the little girl bite his hand and have it bleed off the top really grounds you and makes you go, oh, this is more real. So everything that happens in it, I mean, nothing happens that's, you know, with, with the exception of maybe the wheelchair going down and then flying through the car, you know, it, the, it's too crazy over the top, couldn't happen in real life. Yeah. You yeah. know, nothing blows up and someone comes out, you know, with soot on their face and like glowing eyes or what have you. Uh, you know, the the thing that happens over and over again is people just falling down on their buttocks down the <laughs> stairs. Yeah. That's yeah. it. You know, but it's uh, but by doing that and by grounding it, it just makes it uh, you just feel it all more. Sure. The story. Yeah. Just looking at the story, and I think on page sixty one, if you had the captain, if you reverse that shot, so instead of him walking towards the the towards Marlin Spike, if he was walking towards us across the fields and saying that settles that, and you see the gypsies in the background. Yeah. And it said like a few days later, instead of next morning, I think that that would really kind of tie up that part of it in a way that was more satisfying than it well, is. Well, Dave, you're an artist. Could you, would you mind drawing yes, that? Yes, right. I'll just draw that in there. I will fix Hergé for By the way, why don't you put us in the story? I could do that. Yay! Excellent. <laughs> um, hey, folks. Uh, we've been talking for, you know, I don't know, 17 hours, something like that. Yep. Uh, but we also like to hear from you. And uh, if, you, if there's something that you think we've missed in these stories, or you've got an opinion on any of this, maybe you think that is not how that should have ended. Maybe you've got a different ending. Yeah. Maybe you probably don't. I don't know. But we love to hear from you and how you get in touch with us are the following ways. Have you got a pen? Are Have you, you got near paper? a computer? Are you at some place that you can write something down? Here's what it is. Uh, SneakyDragon.com is our website. That's also the name of our other podcast. You know, we could just say this into a tape and then mail them the tape. Sure, we could do that. Yeah. Or I could That'd send a, you a telegram. That'd be very efficient. Just, uh, just, if you could mail us your Please. address, right. I will send you a telegram. <laughs> All right, here, before, before, Here's how to contact us. before Dave interrupts me again, sneakydragon.com, uh, that's where we have all the episodes. Uh, we also have our message boards underneath every one of these episodes. So uh, post what you feel there. If you want to go to Facebook, you're probably on Facebook anyway. Uh, why don't you go there? And uh, Totally Tintin is where we're at. Yep. Uh, we're also at Sneaky underscore Dragon on Twitter. And if you want to email us, uh, which many of you seem to do, that seems to be a choice that a lot of you make and, and uh, good for you. Uh, that is SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. Those yes. are the many ways. And by the way, Sneaky Dragon's where it's at as well. Absolutely. Now, uh, we are coming up on our last couple of episodes. After we are done with the uh, traditional books, we're going to be having an episode where we uh, talk about the movies, mm-hmm. uh, various films. And then after that, we were thinking of maybe doing one where we answer any questions you might have or things that we have not brought up on the show that you're like, why don't you talk about this for a bit? Sure. So if you have a question uh, for us or something you would like us to talk about mm-hmm. on the final show, please yeah. go to any of those uh, places we just talked about and post that. And we will more than likely uh, do so on our our, uh, final show. Sure. Let me just say right now, my favorite color is blue. Is it? What type of blue? It's blue. Is it the blue of uh, Tintin's shirt? Yes. Ah, uh, I expect it so. <laughs> Mine is the blue of the captain's shirt. Oh. So there we go. That's a disagreement. We're a couple of blue boys. <laughs> That's right. Is there anything more you want to say before we wrap this up? 
Uh, no, we'll see you next week. All right. Thank you so much for What's listening. The, what are we what are we going to do next week? What are we going to do next week? Yep. Uh, we're going to start reading um we're going to start reading the Harry Fl- Potter books. Flight. <laughs> we're just going Here we go. Fl- well, now this is controversial. It's not okay. That controversial. It is controversial because there are two names for this. Yep. Uh it's either called Flight 714. Yep. As as it says on the back of your uh book that's My in front of you. My original English translations, yes. Right, but if you're modern, up to date and cool like me, <laughs> the name of the book is With Your plastic uh, pages. There you are is uh hey, the future is plastics. Uh then uh, you're going to be reading Flight 714 Hee-haw. to Sydney. Ah, uh, yes. Which is in the French, it's flight seven fourteen. It's obviously not flight seven fourteen, but it's flight set un quatre pour Sydney. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Dave uh, studied French in university. Not very well. And that was the payoff for it. <laughs> that was it. Didn't study it too long, guys. Not long enough to get to those not high numbers. Not long enough to get to the high numbers. No, not at all. Set song. So get to your local library, bookstore, or what have you. Start reading it now, and we'll meet you back uh, next time with Flight 714 to Sydney. Mm-hmm. I've been Ian Boothby. I've been David Dedrick. It's been totally Tintin. Thank you for your kind attention.